got the shmup You got the iframes Yeah After all your practice runs you haven't cleared, you think you're done, now the winner You know your routes, you've got them down The final boss is such a clown, you just can't once you see When the game gets hard, you don't give in If you stick to your guns, you will get the win You got the swap you got the iframes When the bullets are loose You'll be right in the eye of the storm You got power-ups You got the motion You know when the boss fight is rough You got the swap The core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast where AA batteries are the true, real last boss. I have to 100% agree. <laughs> I remember buying so many darn batteries for a Game Gear and for a Game Boy. It's almost like you needed to carry a briefcase full of batteries wherever you want. It didn't matter if they were rechargeable. The... Game Gear just eats through them. They're nothing. I, I think it has to do with the backlight in the back of it. Oh, that absolutely. just sucks up all that power. You know, even the other day, I plugged in my Game Gear and its battery pack into the wall, and I think the lights dimmed for a little bit. It just <laughs> sucks so much power. So, as usual, I am addicted, otherwise known as addicted to shmups, and joining me, as always, is... Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru. And if you would like to connect with the podcast, you can do so in a number of ways. Follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at ShootCoreCast. You can follow me directly at Game Boy Guru. Uh, check out our Linktree page to get links to all the feeds and all the related stuff for the podcast. That is linktr.ee slash ShootTheCoreCast. Make sure you join us for a Shmup Club playthrough. You can do so by uh, tweeting along with us or by joining our Discord server, which is linked from the Linktree page. And uh, we've got lots of good conversation going on there. Plus, 
We have memes and text Maxim. And you can follow me on Twitch to get notifications of new streams, since I do stream the Shmup Club game of the month multiple times throughout every month. That is twitch.tv slash guru gameboy. Yeah, and it's a good thing that you said formally Twitter, because I hate to, for you to tell people to excrete at us. That just would not make it family friendly. <laughs> hey, you can excrete in a number of ways. Yeah, that is true. But let's say that from when we cover toilet kids. <laughs> oh, you are you uh, itching to do a Kasoge month? Oh, jeez, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there has been a, uh, there has been a lot of scatological humor on here. I, I mean, even the West Abbott dabbled in it, right? With limited runs, brought it back. You know, they, they said brain scat back. <laughs> but <laughs> we, we will see see what happens here if we cover some Kosoge or some scatological themed games and maybe a. Uh, April or uh, December themed on there. I'm, I'm not sure you'd want to say make December to remember with Kasoge. <laughs> uh, 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 we can figure it out. I, I feel like I've, if I mention Kasoge anymore that, that we're going to channel the AVGN. Yes. Best not to summon him during uh, a podcast. Alright. So our question of the month for January 2024 is... What shoot 'em up impressed you early on because it pushed the hardware is running on? Our first response comes from Steel Ball Runner. Definitely Ketsui Death Label for the DS. And that is one that I have to try. You know, I don't mind grabbing it enough. As much as I would like to pay $600 for the privilege of playing Ketsui on the DS, I think I may have to grab an R4 or something to try this out. But this is one of the ones that has always interested me. Have you had a chance yeah. to play this? I have not, but I've seen footage of it, and yeah, it definitely looks impressive for the relatively uh, meager DS hardware. Uh, Zornow13 says, Dude! Summer Carnival 92 Rekka all the way. 25 hours a day, 8 days a week. When I got back into gaming, I immediately fell in love slash obsession with this masterpiece. It's still impressive today and is a uh, god tier STG action. And this this uh, summer carnival thing might uh, appear at some point. Yeah. Never know. Banana Bite says, Mega Typhoon on Amiga. It doesn't look good. The choice of color is weird. The programmer did the art, and boy, does it show. And it lacks in-game music. But dang, we're talking cave amounts of stuff moving at 50 frames per second, no slowdowns, and on 1985 hardware. That sounds impressive. That right there, I think, puts it up there for a, a December to remember shmup event. Ah. He also says, Pleasure Hearts on the MSX. Very, very late game on the system at 1999 by M. who did Judgment, Silver Sword, Eskatos, Ginga Force, and others. Just what, why, and how? How did he do all this on the MSX? <laughs> also see Kyokiken on the MSX by M. In an early Amiga game that blew me away was Battle Scott and Squadron. I was so impressed by it. They look for arcades, I'm sure it's an arcade port, not a home release. 
I think he's giving us some great suggestions here. We'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, yeah anything MS, Yeah, as you mentioned, Pleasure Hearts, as you mentioned there, anything MSX for, I'm up for it. But I swear, every time I go and look to buy the cartridge on there, it's like, oh, yeah, you can own it for the little price of a, a used car. I feel yeah, like right. it's tickle me Elmo crazed all over again. We'll trade M U MSX cartridge for used car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the named boss also says Rekka. Real Lord Dalek says Adventures of Batman and Robin on Genesis. Now this we could do as our um, shmup light or shmup adjacent. His Adventures of Batman and Robin on Genesis is really close to what you normally get with a shmup, especially on the Batwing levels. Do you own this for the Genesis? I don't, sadly. Oh, geez. When you, when you stop on by whenever it's this year or next, we'll pop it in. You got to see it. It's quite impressive. Yeah, I, I've seen footage. It looks cool. Corkman77 says Sapphire on the PC Engine. The graphics were amazing, and so was the CD quality soundtrack. I think it was one of the last PC Engine games that was released at the time. Right you are. And it's also on the... Is it on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini and the PC Engine Mini? It is indeed. That, but I'm certain, even if you're paying, what is it, $200 for TurboGrafx-16 Mini these days, that it's, it's still cheaper than buying Sapphire by itself. Unless you're getting a bootleg. And even the bootlegs sell for good money. Yeah, I'm, uh, we won't go into the politics of that one. That one was... Uh, uh, a, a weird case with PC, PC Engine works and stuff like that. So we'll yeah. leave that for another day. All right. Talkerbot says, I'll also go with Sapphire for the PC Engine. Diving in the console's library once more, I was surprised to see what they were able to get out of a console that was released in 1987. <laughs> yeah, the PC Engine was a little engine that could. It had big, bulky, weird add-ons, but... It did a lot for more for the system, in my opinion, and especially for shmups than the, the Sega CD did. I like the Sega CD. I, I think that the scale and rotation, but I got a lot more out of the PC Engine CD than I did on my Sega CD. Again, it's just my opinion. Yeah, I think if if Sega had embraced the combination of the hardware a little bit more the way that the PC Engine did. Because with the PC Engine, you had the system cards that worked in conjunction with the CD-ROM-ROM. And so you could make, you could do more with the format by using the system card to provide additional resources, RAM, etc. Where with the Sega CD, they built some extra functionality and hardware and stuff to do sprite scaling and, and rotation and all that fun stuff. But they didn't really expand beyond that and had they leveraged the cartridge slot for that kind of functionality like the PC Engine could have I, I'm not going to say the sky's the limit but they certainly could have done more with it um, much like um, what was the game Pierre Solar which was a homebrew yep. RPG that came out a number of years ago on the Sega CD and um, it used both a cartridge and a CD to load and play the game. So you had the CD music 
and then you had assets loading from both cartridge and CD. Um, and so they, they were able to do quite a bit with it. And I think that's an that was a lot of untapped potential with the hardware. Yeah, and there's a lot more that you can do these days with the stuff that are in there. I mean, if, if someone today said, yeah, you could just throw in, we've got a new uh, EverDrive from Cricks, and you, what you do is you put all your ROMs on M.2 that, that slides in as a hue card. No one would bat an eye. I mean, the, the amount of stuff that we're able to do far exceeds what we would have predicted as kids or oh, anyone yeah. with it. Yeah. I mean, just like how the Neo Geo went from relatively simple games like Magician Lord or Niam 75, and then we ended up with Garo Mark of the Wolves by the end. The amount of change in the hardware and what we're able to do. It would be sort of interesting to see if someone came out with a Hugh Carter that sort of stretched the limits. I bet you that we could get some really impressive games and there, but I imagine the Hugh Carver would be like twi twice as big. <laughs> here I'm picturing like this tower of power for a Hugh card here. This, <laughs> this card just stacks on. It's got its own RAM module you just plug into the top of the Hugh card. Just need a Hugh card that gets swole. Yeah. Gee. Did you just hear Hugh card even lift, bro? No, it, it, <laughs> it, it sort of reminds me of the the uh the absurdity of some of the stuff that we experienced within the late 80s early 90s such as with the uh, you and i were having a discussion about the original game boy i mean what if those type of things just came back but for stuff like the steam deck or for the uh, the uh brog ally could you imagine them making a huge magnifier that is powered by U USB C and light for your steam deck or for your rog ally and just some of those absolutely absurd, absurd stuff, or a, uh, a game genie that hooks in via USB C. Oh. Now, or, now or, I, yeah. Now I want a USB C worm light for the Steam Deck. It's completely useless, go. but you know, I want it. <laughs> you watch. Somebody will actually find a way to. Uh, it'll take the Game Boy camera. And they'll find a way to hook it up to your Steam Deck via USB-C. Huh, no other reason go. than they can. And then you can print <laughs> out your stuff with a Game Boy printer. It, well, you, you remember seeing that uh, AVGN episode where it just like transforms. It, it The whole thing just docks and makes it like three times the size of the original Game Boy or the, the DMG. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that's how I wonder if we would end up if the Steam Deck was released during that time period. which just everything powered by USB-C and you, then your battery life of uh, five feet or five five feet five feet five minutes or five seconds or sorry five feet or or five seconds which comes first is it would suck batteries faster than a, a game gear running full power yep rewind arcade said Axelay was incredibly impressive running on a super NES in 1992. Yeah, Axelade is one ones that people always point to as being technically impressive. <laughs> and looking at it, it's and then and people are saying that mode seven. And the, I just picture Ed from Studio Munprints coming. Here. Actually, it's not mode seven, and he's <laughs> right. It's not mode seven, but 
It, 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 it's impressive enough that people think what they did is a special effect of the Super Nintendo. So that invites very right there. It deserves to be on this list. Yep. Heinerhan says, got to be Thunder Force 4, right? Yeah, I, I think that did a lot. And it, I was impressed when I had played it. And it wasn't one that I had put a lot of time into before. So even many, many, many years later, it's still impressive. Oh, yeah. It it still looks amazing. Skult711 said, Jets and Guns 2. I'm really impressed that it pulls off modern, high-fidelity music and 2D graphics while requiring only... 250 megabytes of disk space. I've heard that Jets and Guns 2 is pretty good. The first one I haven't heard great stuff, but I heard the second one is actually a pretty good improvement. Yeah, I think the first one is generally seen as being a bit too Euro shmuppy, but the second one is maybe got a better balance. Rogue-like like. Ro- or rogue- Rogue-like yeah. squared says, My first shmup clear, Parodius on the Game Boy. That game has such detailed sprites, almost Super Nintendo level, with very recognizable, enjoyable music and stable frame rate while running on my old gray brick. You know, I, I end up buying this, I think, for like five bucks out of Japan back in 2018. I should go back and try this out. Is uh, I have to, the one thing that always bothers me with the Grady style games is it's so painfully slow at the beginning. It feels like you're rowing a, a boat across the, the stars, and until you get a couple speed ups, it's uh, dreadfully, dreadfully slow. Yep. Like trying to get a teenager out of bed to start school. <laughs> but uh, th- yeah, this is one of the, <laughs> the rare Game Boy games that I specifically sought out because I do like Proteus, and I, I'll have to go back and try it and see if. If I'm as impressed as, as Roguelike alike. There you go. Uh, Duke Togo says, I agree with Sapphire. That game can stand up against any 32-bit shooter. I agree, agree with Duke Togo. Schlarp says, Xenon 2 Mega Blast on Amiga. Graphics and music were just impressive. I don't really care about the gameplay, though. Years later, I learned that the music is just one of many other songs based upon John Carpenter's music for Assault on Precinct 13. Huh. Huh, I didn't know that today I learned. Exactly. Me too. I.O. Somewhere uh, responded and said, Xenon 2 was great. There was another one on the Amiga called Sidewinder, top-down shooter as well, with amazing sound effects. The explosions sounded awesome. Overdrone says Thunder Force 4 definitely. GG Aleste 3 as well. Supergoat said Gyarus. I asked my parents to buy that for me based on the graphics and it delivered in all categories. You sure it wasn't because a man in a mullet pressured you to? <laughs> oh, Gyarus is really fun. I haven't tried on the Telenet collection, but the original Genesis game is quite good. Yep. Alright, Pony Zaxxon says, Axelay, everything about this game really pushed the Super Nintendo to its limit. I tell you, but man, that game still looks and runs really good. Yeah, I figured that we would have a lot more people asking us to put Axelay in somewhere. It, it, it sort of feels like it, we should have done it by now. 
So maybe yeah. maybe we'll have to see if we can slot that in for next year. Yeah, maybe so. E- either that, or we can slot in. Um, what's the dueling banjos guy? Um, oh, Phalanx. Phalanx. Yep. Yep. Although I'm not so sure people would listen to a, a podcast that has like an an hour to an hour and a half worth of banjo background music. <laughs> uh, I don't think you have to worry about that. Goji Guy says, Well, not that I can say I'm familiar with the F3 hardware, but Rayforce still graphically blows my mind to this day. It felt like it was punching way, way above its weight. I don't think you're off base with that, Goji Guy, because the F3 hardware did some impressive things, but Raystorm or Rayforce was definitely later in the F3 life, so by that point, I think Taito had... Um, had really learned how to how to get quite a bit out of it. Regdren says, just got into Axley, and I can agree. Although the voice sample that he used for finishing the weapon selection screen has great quality considering the hardware. And another for Axley. Yeah, quite a few uh, votes for that. Mighty Q Dog said, R-Type on the Sega Master System without a doubt. Ah, the compiled joint. Yeah, that, that's another one that is definitely punching above its weight. Kelsey Ponick says, Rekka, can't believe how fast the scrolling was and how many optics were on the screen at once on my NES. Uh, Rekka is another one that people are definitely clamoring for and that will definitely show up at some point. I just wish that the 3DS shop was still open because that was about the only legitimate way to play it without spending... Uh, uh, a mortgage or a rent payment. Yeah. Uh, it would be nice if someone would uh, see fit to release the Summer Carnival games again. Uh, Edwin said, not pushing hardware, although I guess it looked at least decent back then. Empire Strikes Back on 2600. I hated the controls at first, but when I realized it was actually inertia, at least in theory, it was pretty cool. Oh, and Ikaruga, that was very impressive to me, showing the world cinematically, was a first for me as far as shmups go. Yeah, or, or as uh, people on the internet like to call the Ember Strikes Back, Bird versus Camel. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back on the 2600, I think was one of the first times... Where it, aside from Star Wars Arcade, but the first time you can play at home and and it felt similar to the experience. Like yes, I'm taking on these uh, snow um, these walkers in my snow speeder. It it, it gave a um, a little bit more of a sense of realism than you normally see, right? We everyone remembers uh, Atari basketball <laughs> and some of the others. For well, let's just say the box art did did not. Now, here's the thing for you. You think that in this day and age, everyone, you got your profile pic and what you really look like? Oh, right. You know, would, people, would people be constantly swiping right on Atari box art? <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just sort of wonder where, where, what it advertised was certainly not anywhere clear to what the actual gameplay was, which was what the black box was designed to prevent. But it, it's... 
it was the first where it didn't feel like you were cheated out of something, right? It wasn't like you're this black square that that is going after another. Uh, sorry, a white square that's going after a, a semi-translucent another white square, and that was supposed to be Darth Vader or something. You didn't have to use your imagination. Right. STG View says, not sure if it was pushing the hardware, but I was very impressed with Silphied on the Sega CD. Later got on Philosoma on the launch of the PS1, and that looked like the future. I don't know. I'm still impressed with how R-Type looks. Yeah, the original R-Type definitely looks great. And I, I think it's pretty impressive that they did so many ports in, in with different views, but they, it took really until the PlayStation 1 to get a true-to-accurate arcade port out there. It really tells you in the amount of detail that they put into the original arcade game with the... I mean, everyone remembers the Alien, but the second level with, with all the Gygress, the, um, the Biohor that, that they put in there with the worm and the heart and stuff. It's still impressive to this day. Burger Princess said, A game that truly impressed me the first time I played it was Rekka. I don't own a Famicom, let alone a copy of Rekka, so I played it on an emulator. And upon starting the game, I honestly thought I had some sort of speed-up active. But that's just how fast the game runs. Yeah, another reason for them to bring back Rekka. Manufacturer43 says, I remember hosting a fan game event almost two decades ago in Paris. At Japan Expo, we had a game running on CRT. A bystander comes at me and asks, Is this game running on PS3? The PS3 had just come out. The game was Ikaruga on a Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah Ikaruga is another one that's punching above its way. Although I think at this point, there's. Let's see, we've got the Dreamcast port, we've got the GameCube port, and I think that we're getting at least three or four ports every year from Nicalis. I think it's her goal to port it to everything. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a refrigerator port of it. So Ikaruga would be the shmup version of Doom? I think so. Nicalis is certainly trying to put that on everything. And they've re-released the Switch version a couple of times now, haven't they? And the PS4 as well. And there's like one that comes with a papercraft model and stuff. It's it's like all like that, over yeah. the place. But yeah, there, there's so many different versions of this game. And it, the eShop version goes on sale frequently for like five bucks. So right. this wouldn't be a hard game to cover. Unless you're trying to run two player at once. Huh. HRW says Ikaruga and Radiant Silver Gun. Yeah, and there's another one Radiant Silver Gun. That came out on Steam. Is the uh, I think that the Steam version is that the HD version that came with the 360. Yeah. Or did limit to run to anything <laughs> to that? No, I, I think it's a just a port of the of the 360 version. Okay, it's still a good port. Don't get me wrong. Yep. Etrem88 says under defeat on the Dreamcast. It's wild that it runs so well in early hardware, especially with all the crazy physics and effects in the background. Yeah, I definitely agree. I had a chance to play this at when we covered it, what was it, two years ago now? 
they're all running together. But it, it, I played Under Defeat, but I think I played a little bit more of Under Defeat HD a little more. But this is a game that really does some impressive stuff for running on Naomi, or is it Naomi 2? I forget. But Dreamcast Naomi. hardware, Naomi. Okay. And, and I would definitely like to see either a PC port or maybe like a, a Switch uptake or something. It would benefit maybe from like an M2. Like they're doing with Same Same Same, they could do a Under Defeat collection with Under Defeat HD and Under Defeat. Yeah, that would be cool. Radiant Celesta said, Il Velo impressed me a lot for a Naomi arcade game. The visuals were very well executed for the hardware and almost looked like they fit a whole other system. Kurt Folsell says, Polestar for the Neo Geo. It's the reason why my friend and I got one Neo Geo together set up in the middle of the 90s. This is my absolute favorite 16-bit shmup. In the beginning, you blow up a spaceship in a big hole filled with light and from outside my parents' house that looked amazing through the windows. You know, this sort of reminds me of the, uh, the Simpsons episode. Where it's like, this game's amazing. I've just entered my name. It's when he's out with the whole room flying with light. It sort of gives me that that Millhouse playing. Was it through? Thr- we just put in like Thrill How or what? And the music was going, and there's light, and it gives you that experience that you don't normally get. Do you know what I'm, I'm trying to convey here? I'm talking when you really get in the zone and you get some that awesome experience. You turn up the sound. And then you find yourself like the that man in the Memorex commercials. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, the dude in the chair. Or, or, the dude in the chair. Or you're, you're like the original THX. You know, the audience is now deaf. <laughs> type <Yes>. situation. <laughs> 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 but, but yeah, when when you get that, that, that encompassing where it does more than just give you... So it sort of feels like you're in the experience and there i know that thx does, does does that type of stuff too but lately we do that more and more with vr right you can think of the auto visual immersality that you get from that type of stuff really hooks you and makes things feel special i i personally like Polestar quite a bit and think it's a great game i and can see why you would get that type of satisfaction or, or that Enjoyment, say, wow, this is something I don't couldn't pull off on a Nintendo. Right. O5 Pro said Galaxian, Zevius, Metalhawk, Darius Gaiden, and Gradius Five probably impressed me the most when I first saw them when they were brand new. Newish for Galaxian. And Darius Gaiden, Metalhawk, Zevius, Galaxian. You've got your proto shmups in there, or your very early shmups. <laughs> They're Dryas Guide in, which has, <laughs> the game is all about big giant laser battles. <laughs> and Gradius 5 really pushed what you could think a shmup could do on the PS2. Yep. Very solid choices. And I, I think that Galaxian is maybe a little bit overshadowed by its younger brother with. Galaga. Yeah. But it really did do a lot more to people. 
than people were used to for Space Invaders, right? It was that next evolutionary step up from Space Invaders and gave you a little bit more play control, a little bit more uh, definitely bright color, and a, a little bit more refined gameplay to it. It wasn't quite refined as it would end up being in Galaga, but it was definitely revolutionary for its time. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, you went exactly where I was going to go. That when you look at Galaxian as compared to Space Invaders, it it seems like quite a leap. Um, you know, in a, in a pretty short amount of time. Uh, Easy Racer says, I can't say anything as a kid. The ones I played were good, but not noteworthy. But as an adult, was really impressed by R-Type 3. R-Type 3 is another one that we should take a look at. Wasn't it? Or did we look at that one? <laughs> Shoot. I'm oh, running yeah. together. We've, we've played R-Type 3. Oh, well, that's right. It was R-Type Leo I'm thinking of. You see, we've been going for so long, even Ezekiel thinks my mind is gone. <laughs> oh, I love it. We've been living most our lives in the shmupper's paradise. That's right. <laughs> Baltus said, as a kid, Catechus on the C64 had to search for the back of my skull for several days because it had been blown off. <laughs> Sounds like a fun thing to do in December. Get ready to have the back of your skull blown up by playing Catechus. Is it, I wonder, is it one of, if it's one of those things that's similar to Clax? It is the 90s and it's time for Catechus. I don't know. I think maybe that came out in the 80s. Maybe so. Well, either way, we'll have to add it to the list. Yeah. Zeta Metroid says, Early on, I had a shareware version of Raptor Call of the Shadows on my first PC. Those animatics at takeoff, the smoke effects on the rockets, all look so dang cool. Yeah, Raptor Call of the Shadows is definitely one that we want to do proper justice to. If we do have a chance to cover it, we want to cover that in the sequel, which is probably still a little bit of a ways off. But the the other one I wanted to, to see is maybe if we can get Cliff from Lazy Game Reviews to help us out with that episode on Raptor. I'm certain that he could go off on tangents about stuff of the game that we would just be blown away by. Right. You know, it's sort, it's sort of like saying, if you're going to do it, let's do it right. You know, if we ever yeah. end up doing, for some crazy reason, an episode to Duke Nukem, we'll also call him. <laughs> but... Yeah, Rap Raptor is just one of those ones that seems to be a ubiquitous turning moment for PC. It had that smooth scrolling, it had the effects on there. It's still very Euro schmubby, but it it was one of the ones that really impressed people and said, oh, the PC can do this? I thought that only consoles could do this. Yeah, it's um, it was pretty impressive for its time, that's for sure. And closing us out is Shoot the Core, who said, Life Force on NES was my first. Those fire waves and bosses were insane back in the day. All right, excellent. Thank you, everybody, for taking the time to answer. What about you, Guru? 
Well, you know, I, I could go with the low-hanging fruit and agree with the uh, folks who already said Thunder Force 4 slash Lightning Force, but everyone who listens to the podcast has heard me blather on about that game uh, a lot. Kind of playing on what Shoot the Core said, the, the one I was thinking about earlier is um, Abadox for the NES was quite impressive for the time. Um, the graphics were good. There were some large sprites and cool things going on. And uh, definitely some um, some impressive things happening visually and, and uh, just in terms of how much was running on the hardware. But also, I would say some of the early 3D shooters you know, we're, we're fairly impressive as well. Uh, I know when I when I first got Raystorm on the PlayStation, that was super impressive. Or uh, what's another one? Uh, G. Darius was really impressive. What What about you? What's your What's your take on that? So my take's going to be a, a little bit different. Yes, I it's starting from like around ninety two, maybe early ninety three. I was primarily a PC player, so I didn't play a lot of Super Nintendo or NES. After that. I still rented stuff from Blockbuster, which now I, I'm severely dating myself, but <laughs> I would rent the occasional games. But it, for me, I the console stuff was primarily for like Sonic or for playing Super Mario. It was the action scrolling, or it was the Japanese or uh, LRPGs where the playing the Final Fantasy 2 or or Final Fantasy 3 Chrono Trigger had not come out yet so it wasn't quite in that area but for the most part I was dealing with simulations you know I decided to try and read the manual to Sim Earth or Simand and if anyone's looking for a cure to insomnia you got it right there try reading the manual to Simand or Sim Earth but uh, <laughs> I was playing a lot of Civilization 1, and I was playing Doom, of course, but I was also playing the Ultima games. hadn't been playing Ultima uh, 7, uh, a lot of Wing Commander. There, you know, LucasArts and Sierra were my bread and butter at, at that point in time, but I was also very much heavily invested into games from Origin. <laughs> playing Syndicate, if people remember that... Uh, Lemmings with Psygnosis. There was just a huge amount of stuff that I was into with open world. So it, w it wasn't until I ended up getting a PlayStation and getting it chips so I could play imports that things started to open up. And I, one of the first games that I imported was Gradius Gaiden. And that first level in Gradius Gaiden just blew me away with, with the rainbow effects of snow coming down the rotation on there it was very very different from what i come to expect from the nintendo and super nintendo and genesis it, it almost seemed like the neo geo which seemed the pinnacle of everything around that time had been surpassed and this was the future and the games were a lot cheaper because they're on cd so i i could afford to spend more time and less money enjoying stuff that i normally wouldn't have spent on because games back then were you know ninety dollars a pop 
you know, seven, let's say 70 to 90, and it was a big gamble if you didn't rent it beforehand or, or borrow it from a friend. So the ability to pay less and take a, a gamble on stuff really helped me discover new stuff such as R-Type Delta or Gradius Gallic, sorry, Gradius Gaiden or Einhander. Einhander I grabbed because I thought the cover looked cool. And just ended up falling in love with that and the d- different ships that you could unlock, like the little police ship trying to to work your way through. And again, Gradius, a guy didn't play the different ships and try out different things. And R-Type Delta, which is still my favorite R-Type game, and I hope that we get to cover it soon. But just the amount of... St- fluidity of, of animation which some people may <laughs> will we'll laugh a little bit go well, yeah well you didn't try the Saturn well I did play the, the Saturn later and I did end up importing uh, X-Men versus Street Fighter and had a heck of a time playing the heck out of that game but that wasn't until later and so what really got me back into console gaming was the availability of games that you wouldn't normally see uh, or had any chance to play on the earlier one. Like, Gradius 3 is a nice game on the Super Nintendo, but it, it, to me, it's nowhere near as impressive as Gradius Gaiden on the PlayStation 1. It was doing new and interesting stuff, and they were able to make games for cheap enough that they could afford to take chances. I, I, I think what most of the stuff that, you know, like Gradius Gaiden would probably what fall under what you call indie game these days. Because there just isn't that market space for people to do all these big budget stuff. Like Konami can't afford to make a, a Gradius Gaiden unless they make it into some AAA blockbuster that also you, know, you get the special edition comes with tokens for a pachinko machine maybe. <laughs> but it, 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 it was very new and very fresh and doing stuff that I hadn't seen before. Is I hadn't. Uh, were you in the mid '90s after, let's say, Street Fighter Two craze had died down? Were you one who frequented the arcades to see some of the stuff that was new and upcoming and may go to home consoles, or were you just uh, home console first? By that point, I was mostly home console. Although <laughs> that's what uh, when yeah. I went to college, you know, I was playing. Um. Uh, X-Men versus Street Fighter and, um, oh, what's it called? Um, oh, geez. It's totally escaping me. What was the rare fighting game? Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct. Yeah. I was playing Killer Instinct and X-Men versus Street Fighter and stuff like that. But, you know, it wasn't really until, I would say, the late 90s when I got a chance to play some shmups actually in an arcade that I really, you know, kind of started to rekindle that. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it used to be that going to the arcades would give you a, a preview, and that that was where the, the greatest technology would lie, and you hope that you get some of the experience to be brought home. I, I think that a lot of people will remember going to the arcade to play the Ninja Turtles arcade game from Konami, and then would at least uh, I did, and I was waiting with bated breath in order to play the home version. And even though it wasn't 
anywhere near as good as the arcade version, I still play the heck out of it. So I, I exactly. I yeah, I think that by the mid '90s, after the Street Fighter craze had died down, that it, it became increasingly harder to bring people into the arcade, at least in America. And by that time, people were looking to more towards consoles first and arcades second. I know that some people are going to come up with some examples where that wasn't the case, and there are certainly some areas where arcade was still the mainstay. But at least for me, to going to the arcades and seeing stuff and being impressed by that wasn't where I was going. It was the home consoles. For sure. So, again, with the PlayStation, to me, was the first one that sort of brought that arcade experience home. Granted, the Neo Geo did it, and I was impressed. But the, the Neo Geo sort of like saying, hey, you know, you want a race car? Well, we got a Lamborghini. You Okay, you can get the same Lamborghini at home. You just have to pay the same price as everybody else, right? It, it, it's, it's not anything magical about it but it's akin to someone saying you want to take the arcade experience home okay you buy the arcade machine you put in your home it's not accessible to the everyday person oh definitely not where the playstation was a lot more price conscientious and it felt like you could take that arcade experience home and even more so once they started playing stuff on the saturn but we'll leave that for another day. Huh. So, tell me. Tell me about Espaluda 2. Oh, man. Focus shot. Uh, Espaluda 2 is currently kicking my butt. I seem to have a hard time finding a rhythm with it. Uh, some of that is because I've been very busy and I have not had as much time to play as I would like. So in terms of the ability to get consistent, I have struggled with that. I've also uh, now played Espgaluda 2 on three different sticks. Wait, so I'm, that I'm has, just going to ask you, really quickly ask you, are you saying you're consistently trying to be consistent but failing? Something like that, yes. Okay. Consistently. I mean, I've got I've got my my Mayflash May, May stick that I've been using that I've hooked up to the 360 and played that version. Then I bought um, I bought the I think that's probably the first time I'm mentioning on the podcast. I bought the 8-bit Doe wireless uh, stick to use with the Switch um, because I knew that number one then I could use it with the Switch and not have to move my Mayflash back and forth quite as much. But also, it would allow me to play the Switch undocked, and I could pull the Joy-Con controllers off of the sides, prop the Switch up vertically, and play in Tate mode um, on my little folding table here that I have, and still use an arcade stick. And so I bought that, and for the first, I don't know, couple weeks or so, I was playing with the stock lever, which is not great. It is micro-switched, but it's not great. It's, uh, 
it doesn't feel that good and the micro switches don't feel that good and it's got a lot of throw so I was kind of struggling with that and now as of two days ago I replaced the uh, lever in that and the buttons with all Samitsu stuff and now I've got a Samitsu LS56 with a stock spring and then Samitsu buttons that I pulled out and, and modded on there. Um, so I think now that I have that in place, that's probably what I'll go with for a good, uh, good portion of my play because I'll be able to do it on the, on the OG switch portably, but it's been hard to be consistent. And like I said, you know, I haven't had a lot of time to play, uh, so I haven't near, got nearly as much uh, time into it as I would like. I have, however, come up with a reasonably good route for the large boat section in stage two prior to the boss where you've got that big horde of enemies that I think if I can, if I can tweak it just a little bit, I can do without using the guard barrier and without completely spending all of my gems so that I'm not going into the boss fight with no gems for Kakusei. Um, so that really is where my, where my initial focus needs to be is getting that section down and then subsequently getting the stage two boss down consistently um, so that I can then get through stages one and two without issues because realistically I need to be able to no miss stage one and two and then get to stage three and really start grinding that. Have you had much time with Espagaluda 2 this last month? Not as much as I like but I have definitely played the 360 version. <clears throat> I don't have well let's say I I don't exactly. I don't want to use the word luxury, but I, I don't have the luxury of playing on a. I don't have a 360 stick. I have a PS4, Xbox One, and PC stick. But the all I've got is a uh, Halo Green 360 controller that I got from Goodwill. That's now held up with uh, duct tape and bubble gum, but it still works. <laughs> <laughs> So mainly the main problem with it, and I fixed most of the stuff, but I, I got to replace the uh, analog stick, uh, the rubber on it. They, they just it's like melting away here. They, they're quite old, so I was going to replace it with some, or at least try to with some Xbox One caps, and or maybe get some aluminum caps for it to make it sturdier. As far as playing goes, stage three. It's a little bit like golf, where if I don't play for a while, I get really rusty. So I, I, I haven't been as steady in my improvements as I was expecting to be. That being said, I can route stage one and stage two pretty well. The I can also get past that large point section, the carrier section of stage two without having to do any of the special slowdowns or having to use any of the shields on there. I can't do it every time, of course, but 
I, I've gotten pretty good at maneuvering that without having to use either of them. Uh, I, I think the key to that is channeling your inner Chicago taxi driver. Is they will cut across like four lanes of traffic without even caring. <laughs> no turn signals either. They'll just go. And <laughs> I, uh, anyone who's been to O'Hare will no notice that right out of the way. The taxi drivers. Yep, that guy's gonna just go across four lanes of traffic, and there's oh now he's going down the one wrong way down a one way street, but that's okay. He's a taxi driver. He's a professional. So I, I, that's what I've been trying to do because a lot of it is just dotted lines. In every every like five or six bullets, you'll see a space. So it's really learning to read those patterns and maneuver through those. <laughs> no. So yeah, if you can channel your inner taxi driver and you can figure out how to get through there, you're fine. But I think the whole point of them setting up that much of a dense space for your enemy is in there, so that way you can activate uh, bullet time. I forget what the actual mode name for it is, but you're basically pressing the B on the controller in order to slow things down. So that oh, yeah, Kakuse. Kakuse mode. And we'll just call it bullet time. So that way you can get a, get as many points as possible, right? They've purposely set that up so that way you w would use it as a mass scoring opportunity. Yep. <laughs> And the the boss itself, the stage two boss, has pretty predictable patterns. You don't really have to, with enough practice, you should be able to get through it pretty quickly. It's not something that is that hard of a boss, but you could get hung up if it's your first or second time playing through there. The guy with the gun, the mid-boss... It can be a little bit tricky, but once you figure out that you get really close to his gun and then you back off just a little bit, you can get him his first phase done pretty quickly. That threw me for a little while, but um, I've kind of reached the point where I can do that relatively consistently now. Nice. The Yeah, if, if he gets down in that down spot there, he'll fire a burst of bullets, and then it gets a lot trickier. So you want to get through that mid-boss as quickly as possible at first phase, then it's pretty easy to take him on the second phase. His, he'll sort of get in this part where the the pattern will have one lane that you can stay in, and it will just swerve back and forth. And you can usually take him out pretty easily just by doing a focus shot there. Yeah. The uh, Going back to the carrier, there's a couple of different spots where, or I should say different enemies, where the patterns that they will create for you can be more troublesome than some of the others. So it's really about prioritizing who you're going to hit, hit first. That's if you don't want to do it without a shield, or if you would, sorry, do want to do it without a shield, or do want to do it without having to use your bullet time. The yeah. one, one of the bigger things to keep track of in this game is it's really easy to think these mid-enemies... Like slightly, like the bigger turrets that you're fighting against, or the the stuff that basically is like the flowering shots, right? The stuff where it spreads out, but it, or it's in lines, or you get that the flowering pattern. For that type of stuff, you can usually stay one spot as long as you're slightly off center. Most of the bolts won't hit you, and you kill it, and the bolts will cancel by the before they even hit you. So the biggest thing that I could say for helping out people in the game is to take a step back, slow it down a little bit, realize that the popcorn 
it is probably going to be a lot more dangerous to you than any of the mid-sized enemies. And the larger enemies, like the mid-boss or the bosses themselves, it's for the most part figuring out how to weave through their patterns. Most of the patterns that they have, at least up to the stage 3 boss, it it starts out with maybe being a little bit center, but then we'll swing to the left and then swing back to the right. <laughs> what do I call it? Like windshield wiper patterns? As oh, going sure. and you just have to, you just have to stay, stay in the spot. It's not like where it can get outrageous with uh, such as you would in Toho game. They're hard, but they're doable hard. And right. I th think after doing, uh, playing through it enough, especially in the practice mode, just keep continually playing stage two until you get it down. Y you'll be able to progress through pretty well. The only part where things can get a little bit hairy is if you don't take out the larger enemies in time and then you start getting all the focus bullets. Because the mid-enemies shoot out predictable patterns, right? You're not going to get aimed bullets, but the popcorn are going to shoot aim bullets. And if you yep. get stuck with the mid-enemies where you're trying to deal with theirs and all of a sudden a whole wave of popcorn comes in, you're going to have a pretty hard time. So it's all about knowing what the patterns are going to be for the mid and the bosses and then dealing with those popcorn as soon as they come on screen. It's easier said than done, of course. But by repetition and knowing the routes and realize when you need to just step back and let the bullets come to you and that they won't hurt you will make it a lot easier for you. I guess some lines of if you are starting karate one of the things you got to realize in there is it, 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 let's say someone you're doing kumite or you're you're fighting or sparring and someone comes up and <clears throat> tries to punch you that your natural reaction is either you're gonna you know try and protect yourself or you're gonna flinch or you can close your eyes that's normal sure. but you, after a while you become more comfortable with it and it's the same way with these bullets Yes, they're going to come at me, but they're not going to hit me. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't expect you to be. I don't expect you to be Neil and start bending and flipping around. But, but you do just to stop your your own natural reactions. I, I think that it's similar to when you're learning to drive a car, right? You know, you tend to oversteer. You know, when they're instead of making little movements, you're making huge movements, and going from being a good player to a great player is understanding what's going to be coming at you and not oversteering. Right? Another example is kids. When my oldest was younger, he did the thing where when you're pressing jump, he like move the controller with it. You know, a lot of younger kids do that. Oh, they yeah. like jump with their controller. They move out with their hands. But you see more experienced people would just hold the controller and press the button or tap it. Or it's something that you're just going to have to gain with the experience and know how far the reach is and not flinch when bullets are coming at you. Know that, yes, they're coming, but you can dodge them. If you can dodge and a wrench, it. you can dodge a bullet. There you go. All right. <laughs> Dodgeball 2 by Game Boy Guru. <laughs> no, the, the hardest part in dealing with, with some of the stuff is just 
knowing that which way the bullet patterns are going to be. I almost call them like bullet curtains. They really just do from go from left to right, and then you get the like in stage two. Some of the larger mid bosses, they have, they do the dotted lines, like for the, when you I was talking about with the the lanes, like the street lanes. Oh, you yeah. get like four bullets, and then there's a dot. But what they'll do in between is they'll have balls that cross each other, right? Ball shaped bullets, and like something you'll just have to dodge in between there. Yep. Th- those can be those can be a little bit hard, harder to deal with, but though I think right near the carrier, near the end, there's tools that you have to watch out for. <laughs> it can definitely cause some problems. The stage three itself, I remember the mid boss being pretty cool, but being pretty easy, and I still haven't quite made it through to one through three without doing a, a no miss. But I'm working on that. That and I need to add some more duct tape to my controller. <laughs> Yeah, the stage three mid boss I have no shot with right now. The, the spider on the uh, um, on those pillars, yeah. Oh well, the, the spider doesn't doesn't bother me. It's the it's the one that comes later that oh okay has all the turrets and stuff along the sides that you have to shoot off. Okay, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think think that both of us will do pretty well at having. At least by, let's say, maybe end of March, we'll be able to do one through three with our eyes closed. Let's You'll hope so. I, uh, unfortunately, my February is going to be a very busy month, so the amount of time I'll have to play will be limited. Well, you know, it, it's February is a month of love, so le- learn to love your fight stick. Huh, there you go. All right, let's move on to shmup news that you can use. Stefan... Travonic's forthcoming NES Famicom shmup Hyperion has been updated to use the MMC3 mapper chip to enhance the ROM space and graphics capabilities. Very nice. It's looking good. Uh, Zakesta Z from developer Zakichi is now out on Steam. Cranky Chibi Cthulhu is a vertical shooter in development from Little Tlaloc Interactive LLC. The Steam page is up now so you can wait... Wishlist the game it has been inspired by NES games and old arcade titles. Well, I certainly hope that it is easier to play than it is to pronounce. <laughs> uh, yeah, good call. Uh, Project Neon, a Tate vertical shooter for Neo Geo MVS and AES, is now available for pre-order from Fullset.io. And... Uh, I was looking at this before the pre-orders went up, thinking, "Oh man, I should uh, I should think about that." Then the pre-orders went up, and it was four hundred fifty dollars. It's Neo Geo. Yeah, it is Neo Geo, and it is only the second Tate game on the Neo Geo platform after Neo Zykes. So you yeah. know, still tempting. Well, you know, when it comes down to it, anything Neo Geo. It's either going to be a rent payment, a mortgage payment, or a Neo Geo game. Those are your choices. I just wish that we could get a Neo Geo CD version. You know, uh, stuff like this will eventually come out for something. If it's going to be picked up by um, people who did Gunlord, published Gunlord, I'm... 
Oh, NG oh, Dev. NGDev. Yeah, if NGDev picks it up, it wouldn't surprise me to see it released on the Switch. Heck, even if it's not, it wouldn't surprise me to see it released on the Switch. Hmm. I, I think there's a big Fair. enough audience on there that people could afford to take the risk to release it. Or even do the ROM. Right. Always Surrender was released on Steam on January 29th from The Covert Sheep. It's a vertical shooter with multiple modes and a retro look and feel, but it's fast-paced and focused on aggressive score play. Dead End City is coming to consoles February uh, 28th from East Asia Soft. No physical version has been announced yet, but it will be available on all three major platforms. Red Art Games is releasing a physical Xbox version of Soulstar. Pre-orders are now open. You know, I thought of doing something sort of dumb fun for this. I recently ordered one of those... Um, well, my 2024 project I'm still working on, I took a AV cart that you normally... Those of a certain age, a certain vintage, perhaps, <laughs> would... <laughs> Remember what when a CRT TV was rolled in on an AV card, you knew you were going to be in for a good time. Even better if they had a laser display on it. <laughs> but people remember that, and I took one of those carts and I I hooked up two thirty inch monitor, uh, two thirty inch, thirty two inch LCD TVs to it, and then hooked up uh, two older, like ten year old gaming PCs, and then I hooked up two 360s, two PS4s, two PS3s, two Wii's, and we'll see if I can throw in two Switches in there. <laughs> but I, I turned it into a red versus blue cart. It's similar to what you get on like a uh, a Japanese arcade where you pl- play by hooking up the systems and you get red versus blue. And I think I threw in two Xbox Ones, and I was trying to figure out what the the VCR models. And I was trying to think what the heck I would do with those. Is that there? Are, most of the games that came on the Xbox also came on the PlayStation Four, but Soulstar may be a good idea since both the monitors can be Tate. Dual Soulstars. There you go. Um. Uh, VGNY Soft is doing a Nintendo Switch uh, and PS4 physical version of Risk System. Yeah, this was talked about in our Discord. Risk System, at least for me, was one of the was instrumental in getting me to realize that things were a little bit different, or things could be done differently. I know that to someone like Etram, this is old hat. But the the idea that you would sort of graze stuff, the graze system, or try and, instead of avoiding bullets, try and get as close as possible in order to pirate your ship, was novel to me. And I, I'm looking forward at giving this another shot when we eventually cover it on the podcast. Yeah. From developer Ruach and publisher NBC. Entertainment Abstract Code releases on January 31st on Steam and sports a high-contrast neon color scheme and somewhat abstract visuals. It's a shmup visual novel hybrid. The game will be free. Always a great price. And this is the second time, to my knowledge, that they've done a shmup visual novel hybrid. First was, uh, was it You're a Kill? I'm a Kill, everybody's a Kill? Okay. Yep. 
Cyborg Warriors is a new game in development for the Atari XL and XE line of computers. It's a remake of a BBC micro side-scrolling shooter of the same name. Interesting. Yeah, actually it looks pretty decent. Code of Python is a new Python-based horizontal shooter that's in development and open source hosted on GitHub, and others can contribute to the continued development. Well, if it's called Code of Python, I would hope it's uh, developed in Python. Indeed. Yeah, uh, so some of the, <laughs> sorry, I, I just want to put it in here. I tried to see if I could make my fever dream come true by doing uh, assets... Uh, make a shmup out of just purely AI-generated assets, and uh, I will say some of the images that came up after typing in prompts were definitely strange. I don't think we can make it commercially viable out of that. I, I know <laughs> I shared some of those with you, Guru, and they were they were quite out there. Yep. Until the Last Plane 1942 is a new 16x9 vertizontal shooter in development by Carlos C., set for release in 2025, though the Steam page is already up for wishlisting. The Legend of Steel Empire is available now on consoles from In-In Games, a stripped-down version of the larger Steel Empire collection. It only contains the previously released Steam version of Steel Empire, but not the GBA or Genesis versions. Hmm. Well, In-In Games, again, is what they'll do is they will release... It, it, it's sort of like the the is it really the American publishing arm of Strictly Limited or is it just more like their their partners? I'm not quite sure what the relationship is, but if it's something that's released on Strictly Limited, you can bet there'll be a watered down version that shows up on Einin. Now the Einin version will be cheaper for sure. In some cases, dirt cheap. If you remember the uh, Taito Mizan collection for the Switch? It was like eleven dollars. Oh yeah. And and then the the Wonder Boy collection that was like twelve, and I, I swear like every three months they have to have a sale on cotton stuff. I, I yep. think that's part of the reason why I seem to own sixteen versions of Cotton Reboot. <laughs> that's a lot of cotton. <laughs> it is a lot of cotton. So yeah, definitely going to keep an eye out for. I mean, it's because regardless of of how you purchase it, I think that Steel Empire is definitely worth playing through. I personally prefer the Genesis version, but the Steam version is not bad at all. Yeah. Starlight Riders Hyperjump from Lunar City 7 is up on Steam now to wishlist and listed as coming soon, but no date has been announced. It's a vertical shooter with a colorful look and is said to have dynamic difficulty. A demo should be forthcoming on Steam. Very nice. Shikondo Yokai Rampage is coming out in quarter one, 2024 on Steam. And will be a retool version of the game based on the XR Arcadia release. Since the original has been delisted for most places, this will make the game more widely available. I wonder on this... I know it's been delisted, but this game was like $2 for the longest time. I would assume that most people who are interested in this have picked up the original release already. I don't know how much of, of the the crossover there's going to be for people who 
want to play this and uh, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't deserve another release and I'm welcome another shmup I'm just like curious on A. why it was delisted and B. if it I guess if it was brought back who would have already bought it I, it was I think I saw more expensive stuff at the dollar store than the, the stuff that was going on for this game before it was delisted it was almost like a no-brain buy. Yeah, this is this is one of those where I'm glad that it's coming back in some form. But yeah, you wonder will people who owned the or who bought the original version on Steam be able to buy, to get an upgrade for less money, or are we going to be required to pay full price? for the new version and then will the new version have all the performance issues solved that the that the original had so i guess that's there there are some questions i mean it's not like there isn't precedent for this we see the stuff with r-type 3 r-type final 2 that became r-type final 3 right right that was there because after they initially did that and i it, it sort of feels like Moss is doing this with, uh, with Raiden 4, right? How many different versions of Raiden 4 is out there? Raiden 4, uh, Raiden 4 Turbo, Raiden Super, Raiden 4 Fighting, Super Raiden 4 Fighting Arcade Championship Turbo Edition. Yeah, uh, it, it is a little bit weird. Either weird. way, I'm happy that we're, we're getting a the X-Arcade release, I think that they should do more of that stuff. And I, I haven't a chance to try it out, but get the gimmick that's there, I don't think was the X-Arcade release, right? The one that was released on Switch and PS4 recently? Right. But I, I think that we should get more X-Arcade releases made more to a larger audience like the Switch or PS4. Yeah. Well, and people have been complaining for the past few years that that uh, the EXA exclusivity or exclusive as they call it status of many of these games means that so many of them will never get to play but maybe this is at least a, um, a sign that things won't remain exclusive to the EXA Arcadia platform forever um so I guess we'll see. Yeah, uh, some. I mean, eventually everything becomes available, whether through legal or not. But it, it would be good to see a legal way to play these games rather than having to play them on an XRcadia emulator, or in this case, an XRcadia VM. Maybe you know, in ten or twenty years down the line. Right. Rising Sun Iron Aces is slated for a quarter one 2024 release on Steam from Mobius One Games and Electric Sheep Games. It's a World War II inspired shooter that combines top-down shmup action with first and third person dogfighting segments. So that's cool. kind of neat. Uh, yeah. Kinkaze Shoujo Burute or Prince of Burute is available now on Nintendo Switch Japanese eShop. It is a Toho-style vertical shooter with complex bullet patterns and character action. 
It's from Dojin developer 5Float. No word yet on whether this will see an official Western release. Well, if it doesn't, at least with the eShop, you can just change your region and buy it. I know exactly. Etram's done it several times. Yep. Yeah, this does look very Toho. That sounds like a bad name of uh, a sitcom. That's so Toho. <laughs> Pico Games is working on a horizontal shooter that is yet unnamed, but already looks promising with colorful graphics and easy-to-see bullets. Sounds like something. <laughs> Sorry. I know uh, we're all getting older here, and as I said, you know, geriatric uh, Don Maku here is my spirit animal. But uh, I just feel like the... That somebody put an easy-to-see bullets is something that I, as a uh, aging uh, Damaku player, would love to see. Put it on the list of uh, of features, right? There you go, yep. Now with easy-to-see bullets. Oh, do you remember, uh, what was that game, Last Hope, that had that? Oh, Last Hope Pink Bullets? Yep. So, bullet bullets matter, people. They need to they need to be easily visible on there. They can't blend into the background, and apparently pink makes them really easy to see. I'm trying. I guess we'll talk a little bit about the this as we get into our games of the month. But that was one of the things I didn't have a chance to do. I wanted to try was to see if I could detect these bullets on an actual game gear. Because well, playing them on a PS4 is one thing; it's easy enough, but Playing it on that the terrible LCD quality of the uh, early 90s is a, a totally different matter. Oh, most definitely. Midi Riots is working on a horizontal shooter called Godzabel. No word on a release date or platform yet, but looks very inspired by late 80s and early 90s arcade shmups. Technoside from Des- Dexterous Games is a vertical shooter coming Q1 2024 to Steam. Visually, it recalls 90s PC shooters, and the game focuses heavily on taking out all enemies so they don't reach your mothership, similar to the damage meter system in Haley's Comet. Uh, demo is available now. Very nice. A uh, new demo for Typhoon Unit, Butterfly Requiem, is up now for sale on Steam from Ghostly Feline Games. The title is slated for 2024 release. You know, this strikes me as like a very Japanese-style name. Like, Kojima, what's your new game called? Typhoon Unit, Butterfly Requiem. Or no, this probably is more like a grasshopper manufacturer type stuff, right? Yep. <laughs> this sounds like something that, that, that he would do. <laughs> but I, 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 I un sarcastically love the title. I, I also think it could be like one of these um, rarely used uh, moves in chess. Oh, I'm gonna open up with the Typhoon Unit Butterfly Requiem. <laughs> well, I. Uh... If memory serves, this this uh, is a shmup that has a heavy melee element to it as well. So I think it's going to be interesting. There you go. You know that that that, that brings me to my idea. Remember Battle Chess? Oh, I think absolutely. I saw some. Yeah, I was pl- watching um, Pass Blaster play that on the Mister on his arcade cabinet recently on one of the streams, and I wonder if we can like combine chess slash shmups 
Let's make battle shmup. Or shmup chess. Shmup chess sounds better. There you go. Oh, um, what would you do? Vic Viper, Vic Viper to Pawn 5? I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> there you go. The Saturn hacking and modding community has discovered that the Japanese version, or the Japanese release of Shippu Maho Daisakusen, has an English translation or localization built into it. So it is now possible to patch the ISO and play Kingdom Grand Prix in its English form. Uh, it's only available to Patreon supporters right now, but will made available but will be made available to the general public shortly. This is really cool. Why do I get get thinking that maybe there's some sort of game shark code that enables this? I mean, it's possible. You know, like pro pro action replay code might yeah. have been able to do something like that. Uh, too bad that you can't do that for everything, right? Exactly. Look, definitely looking forward to when that becomes public. No, no Steam Hearts uh, English translation for you. Oh. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> Spear Shooter Nozomi is releasing on Japanese Nintendo Switch eShop on February 1st, courtesy of Waku 2 Games. I have no idea what this is about, but I'm always for more shooters. Yeah, this one, um, we mentioned it a couple of times, several episodes back, because it was still in development. It's got a, it's got a, uh, a system in the game similar to, you know, the, the thing within um, uh, Trigger Heart Excelica, where for the enemies that are large enough that you can't grab you can use the grab feature to sort of focus in on the enemy and then move around. Well, this has a similar thing where you sort of grab onto the enemy and then there's a way that you can attack the attack foes doing that. And I think that either increases your score or I don't know, there's some mechanic that revolves around that with this game. You, you throw your spear at the enemy and latch onto them. And then somehow after doing that, then it it opens up the scoring or powering up or something like that. You had me at latching on to enemies, spinning to win in HD Rumble. <laughs> there you go. Praxis Fighter X is due out February 2nd on HIO News Grounds. And Lexawful BBS from developer Eric Billingsley. It's a Pico 8 based vertical shooter. Wow. Making thing, all sorts of systems out of here. It wouldn't surprise me if someone's making one for the ZX Spectrum. Right now. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and port Gradius 5 to the ZX Spectrum. Why? Because we can. Yeah. <laughs> right. Signy uh, All Guns Blazing will be featured in the upcoming Steam Next Fest. Uh, and a demo was to be made available from February 5th uh, through the 12th. But. The demo is already live on Steam at this point. Very cool. Zeno Fighters R is up to version 0.377 now. So it's continued to see consistent updates in the past few months. Yeah, that that uh, I'm glad to see that is uh, that is there. And actually it's point uh, 0.378 because literally right before we started recording 
I saw another uh, update and I didn't get the uh, outline updated in time. That's very Monte Python-ish. The update to the update has been updated. Exactly. Silkworm has released on Switch and PS4 under the Arcade Archives line. I feel like this one has been a long time coming. Yeah. Because it's been playable on the Mister now for several years. Well, it just means that we got to cover it sometime soon. Yeah. The uh, Electric Underground has released a shmup documentary titled Passion Against Reason on their YouTube channel. I have yet to watch this. I was hoping to get a little bit of time this weekend to do so. Have you? Yeah, I, I've had no time. Um, and I'm sure it's long enough that I'm going to want to sit down and try and watch it all in one sitting. So um, I have not had the opportunity yet, but I, yeah, I'm same. I'm hoping to to uh, maybe get get it watched this weekend. I've heard it's best viewed in Tate. <laughs> that would be very, very Mark MSX to do that. Dr. Mortal Wombat has released a new shooter for Commodore 64 called Corescape. Uh, it's available as a name-your-own-price title on itch.io. Now I can imagine just a guy going through, yelling through the halls, Mortal Wombat! <laughs> uh, this looks good. Uh, looks like it has some faux parallax scrolling stuff going on, and and uh, so it, it looks promising. Very nice. I'll just have to go just to see if I can hear Mortal Wombat. <laughs> the RetroCore YouTube channel has a new Battle of the Ports video comparing different versions of Shenryu. I always liked his Battle of the Ports stuff and the way he put stuff together. In fact, I even told him so. On There's a um, forum where I regularly post and post updates and doesn't really drop. I... Uh, if memory serves, he, he's British, so I'll say he's a very good bloke, and I appreciate the work that he puts into the series. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy those as well. Alright, well that was all the shmup news that you can use. Now, there's one thing I wanted to throw in here. It wasn't shmup related, but I was really impressed by it. There is, for those of you who maybe have heard of the proto- I call it a proto shmummy, but you've heard of Nightmare, right? Yeah. Yeah, on the MSX, and then the Maze of Ga Gallius that came out for the Famicom. Yep. That was a sequel to that. They made a, ser a spiritual sequel on the MSX2 that recently came out this year, and it looks amazing. It's for the MSX2, but it's a Metroidvania. Oh, wow. It's expensive. I think it was 99 euros for a physical copy, but I'm going to see if I can track one down. It, 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 some of the later MSX2 stuff that you see, like Kings Valley 2 on there, there was... Um, I, I don't think quite that King Kong 2 quite lives up, but we're, we're talking... Um, what's the uh, Space Mambo? Oh yeah, you know, we're talking about like like that level of quality stuff. It, it's pretty impressive of what they could do. And, and all I did post in the Discord under the news, but I'll see if I can find it again. I was just so impressed by everything that they're able to 
squeeze out of the MSX2. And of course, there was somebody who was recently using a um, one of those memory management ch uh, carts that that had uh, expandability carts. One of the modern ones you know, I'm talking about that has all the like some someone put in a uh, let's say it's like MT32 uh, MT32 on the cart. Oh yeah. MT you know, that's just, it's sort of a bad example, but expansion capabilities on a cart. They were running the, uh, the Daytona arcade soundtrack through it. That was coming oh, out of MSX. Grief. It was just so, the amount of crazy stuff they can do is pretty incredible. Huh, that's cool. I'm, I'm hoping that we get some more shmups out of this, that the homebrew community starts, you know, stuff, because I would love to see something... Uh, along the lines of Space Mambo or maybe a, another fan-made Alesta, which there, there are three Alesta for the uh, MSX, right? There's Alesta, Alesta 2, and Alesta Gaiden. Yep. And the Gaiden one's really weird because it has nothing to do with any of these series, but I, I think they came out on a, a floppy disk, too, if I remember correctly. But, oh. yeah, it, interesting stuff, so... All around, it's good to see develop, new development on older systems. There's also that uh, the news or movement on the one that Yuzu Kushiro has been doing for the Genesis, right? Earthion, that seems yep. to be moving pretty, Earthion moving along pretty fast. Yep. So I'm happy, definitely happy to see that. Well, speaking of Veleste, shall we move on to our Shmups of the Month? We shall. This time we had a good turnout. We have Zordo, Game Engineer 112, forgive me if I mispronounce this, but Kurt Fussel, Skosh, Oogles, The Immortal Duke Togo, Schlarp, Fomacho, and Takerbot. So the game that we play for the month of January, the games that we play for the month of January are GG Aleste. And it doesn't mean good game, but it means Game Gear in this case. GG Aleste was released in 1991 for the Sega Game Gear from developer and publisher Compile. It is an offshoot of the Aleste series of games from the MSX and Sega Mark III slash Master System. It was only released in Japan. The first game plays out across all eight stages. And your standard forward shot starts out as a single and you can upgrade it to a max level of eight. Upgrades are achieved by collecting P. Um, I guess you put P chips here, but it just says P. It's red P. Hmm? Is that like a P is stored in the chips meme? No, I think it's Pentiums. I think you're collecting Pentiums. Oh, there you go. That was the purpose of Weird Al's video, right? It's all about the Pentiums, baby. He's referring <laughs> to upgrades in the Lesta. Okay. Yeah. You know, well, here here's the thing. At this point in time, Tex-Mexium was taken, so they couldn't use that. That's and true. I, we were trying to go, and on a side note, we were trying to go back and find the first use of Tex-Mexium in a video game. And we thought it was dealing with Gunhead, but it turns out that wasn't the case. If you open up the Worlds of Power book for Blaster Master, you'll find that the frog became mutated by overexposure to Tex-Maxium. So that was the first use, or canonical use, of Tex-Maxium in a video game is Blaster Master. That frog, pioneering frog. Wow. 
Yeah, it's how he grew so large. And we'll talk about later, there's also within GGLSD3, there's a giant enemy crab that's also due to Tex-Mexium. So they're putting Tex-Mexium in the water and turning the frickin' frogs mutated? You got it. <laughs> if we ever come up with a, our own shmup game, I think we're going to use frickin' frogs as the name of the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. Each power level you reach means the number of chips you need for the next upgrade doubles from the previous. Smaller P chips are obtained by shooting at enemy carrier ships that hold them, which will dispense them as you shoot. Each carrier has four chips. There are six secondary weapons in GG Aleste. You start with the laser, there's the homing, wave, defense fire, and napalm runner, and mag, and mag spread. The secondary weapons can be upgraded by grabbing a large P icon and can be upgraded to max level 4. The other thing to mention with the P icons is when you grab a P, it, it adds to your iframes, right? It gives you a countdown of iframes. Yep. Now, what would... I, if I'm, I'm trying to remember which one. I think I went with the homing originally, and then I switched over to the sort of like side lasers in the second and third game. What did you primarily use with in GGLSD? What was your primary weapon? Well, I got my first clear with the homing. Okay. And then I got my second clear with the wave. Um, I would say in the first game, those are probably the two best weapons. The The napalm runner is solid, but it's not super viable until you're at full power or until you're at least level three, but generally max power is where you want to be with that. The, the max spread is interesting in theory but kind of useless the laser is powerful but doesn't have much range um in terms of width it's all very forward fire yeah i, I gotta bring this up here is i think this is the only shmup where at least to me it felt like you can just hold down the fire button and and then you just focus on movement yep do you think yeah I, I think I told you I jokingly said this is the only shmup where my finger fell asleep while playing it. <laughs> You're right. Just holding the button down. Yep. In fact, it, you, you probably wonder if I could use the old school trick of using a rubber band or a um, a, a clothespin in order to oh, just hold yeah. down the fire button. You play one. There you go, right there. Shmup Slam 6,555, or whatever the mark is up to. You just play one-handed GG Aleste. There you go. All right, so GG Aleste has two bonus stages that only a handful of enemy formations. Yeah, I like to call these the Galaga stages, right? These are the galactic dancing. Kind of, yeah. There are, yeah, there are no enemy collisions during these stages, so the focus is only on destroying as many as you can. And I forget what happens. Is it just points bonus if you destroy them all? Yeah, it's just a point bonus. Yeah, with it, the the first one does galactic dancing. Then I think the second one spreads it out, so it's a little bit more so than just like Galaga. And then the third one does is where it does like the 3D stages, right? Is that correct? Well, no, the there's only the two bonus stages in the first game. Right, but in the second game, it changes it up just a little bit with the way that it does because it starts scrolling, right? It's not static. And then the the third game has you do like a 3D type where you're blasting, similar to like you get with Metal Black, right? 
No, we'll get there. Okay, okay. Remember, any any time that I fail to remember something, just remember I'm old. At least that's what my wife keeps telling me. All right, so. <laughs> the story, according to the GGLS Day page on Fandom, is in the year 2065 AD, after the failure of the first integrated Earth state to advance into the outer planets, a huge mobile weapons army suddenly appeared in the jet black space. They challenged the in- integrated Earth state and destroyed the SDF. Oh no, SDF. They should have called it the EDF and they could have won. Man. Yeah. You have taken control of the Earth. Your future lives are forfeit. Calling themselves Moonchild. Oh, great. Now we're back to 60s here. <laughs> I wonder if someone could throw in... Speaking of Moonchild, I wonder if, the, if someone could just throw in Cher. The true last boss is Cher. Oh, my. <laughs> so, or maybe it's I won't say anymore. We'll be sued. <laughs> they conquered Earth and captured a few remaining SDF soldiers who were sent to a colony under construction. While most soldiers were taken over by despair, some still did not give up hope. A teenage girl and a genius pilot, Eleanor Wisen. You know, I gotta wonder, I, if, if I ever have a chance to talk to any of these developers, so what's the obsession with German? It, it seems like a, a Japanese developer game, you know, like we'll throw some random German in there. I do not know. But yeah, it is fascinating. Definitely is. The special fighter, Gigi Aleste, developed specifically for her, was secretly brought into the colony by the development team led by Eleanor's grandfather, Seft Watson. Eleanor now heads into the void where the battle awaits, piling the Gigi Aleste to save the Earth. <clears throat> yeah, this goes back to your theory of... Um of Japanese video games. Well, you're a teenager now. It's time to save the Earth. (laughs) Time to save the world. You have come of age. You are now 12 years old. It is time for you to save the Earth. Exactly. You know, I I begin to wonder if the people are just watching maybe a little bit too much Macross. (laughs) Oh, so that's what's going to happen. Teenagers save the Earth. And it's not just... Dealing with shmups too, it's very prevalent in LRPGs or Japanese RPGs too, right? You must be oh, yeah. this young in order to save the earth. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it's like the sign at, at the fair when you go and you, you must be this tall to ride this ride. <laughs> well, you must be it's under a- eighteen to save the universe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, it's it's like anyone who who is nineteen or twenty is just instantly called a Okasan or Osan. You know, you, you're you're too old now. You're over the hill. You've turned nineteen. You <laughs> 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 must you must be at least you must be thirteen in order to be prime candidate for saving the earth. I don't know. Maybe you know. It may just come down to resources too. There's a we just can't build it. up. have you ever seen? Someone who is really tall trying to get in like a Lamborghini, and it just looks like a clown car. Oh I, yeah. I, I wonder if they're if they're just short on resources, and and that's all they could do. So, 
<laughs> you know, g give you that Pawn Stars type thing on here. I want a full ship that could fit an adult person. You know, see, best I can do is someone fit someone who's 13. <laughs> well, I guess George Lucas had the right idea when, uh, you know, Anakin at a young, ripe young age was, uh, was the only one who could, who could do the pod racer or the pod racing. There you go. Yep. It's got to, you got to have it small in order to get your, your prodigy in there and save the earth. Yep. Yeah, the interesting thing about GGLSA is the bullets are red, and I wonder if that was done to make things like really stand out. But I, I didn't try it. I don't have a uh, an EverDrive, and I try, I try looking like maybe I can buy the cart. It can't be that expensive. And then I said, "Oh, geez, it's <laughs> it's Neo Geo prices." Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like, I'm not going to do that in order to see play on my unmodified game gear just to see if the bullets are viewable on there. But I wonder how much that color scheme, how well it looks on an actual unmodified game gear. It's hard to say because the the original LCD screens at this point, you know, the visuals are so washed out, they look bad. I mean, I remember playing a few minutes of Sonic the Hedgehog and Mortal Kombat on a Game Gear back when they were new. And I remember them being impressive and I th thinking that they looked good at the time, but I'm sure the screen was almost as bad then as they are now in terms of motion blur, ghosting, and all of that. Certainly the screens are nowhere near as vibrant as what we have now with the analog pocket or even some of the LCD replacement screens that you can buy for the Game Gear and the Lynx and, and the like. But yeah, I would imagine that the color scheme that they use and the the red bullets in, in particular are probably a result of them realizing the limitations of the hardware that the game was going to be played on and sort of playing to its uh, strengths and or weaknesses. Yeah, that's why when we talk about the next one where they and the bullets changed a little bit, it surprised me. But we'll get yeah. to that in just a moment. Any uh, thoughts on GGL Estate before we move on to the second one? Uh, yeah, the interesting thing about the, the about GGL Estate is it's a little bit difficult right out of the out of the gate because you're a bit underpowered once you get powered up as long as you can see the bullets and avoid them uh it's a relatively breezy game and should be a pretty easy clear i want to say i when i streamed it i cleared it on my third try fourth try maybe yeah and even if you end up taking a hit or something the uh, Gradius effect is not really there. It's a pain, sure, but you can definitely recover. Yeah. Now, when you get to the end of the game, there's a little bit of that because the final boss fight can be a little bit... Uh, the final boss is a little tanky, and so that, that can be a little bit of a pain, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, if you want to really challenge yourself, play special mode, which is the harder mode, or use that... Um, 
the mag spread weapon, which is kind of useless. That that would at least give you some level of challenge. Yeah. I, I think that was sort of a running theme of these, that everything, for the most part, was manageable until you got to the end and it was a difficulty spike. Right. Especially in 2. But <laughs> yeah. we'll get into that later. Uh, GGLS 2 was released in 1993 for the Game Gear and also from developer and publisher Compile. Uh, unlike the first game, this one did get a localized version as Power Strike 2 in Europe and Brazil, but not North America. Yeah, uh, just really quickly here, I, we do want to make a differentiate that Power, even though it was Power Strike 2, it's not the same game as the Master System version that appeared in Europe and Brazil. Correct. The Japanese version of the game is subtitled as Lance Bird. Both the Japanese and English translated versions of the game are on the game cartridge, which someone in our Discord found out, um, and the version that plays will depend on the region coding in the Game Gear hardware. Yeah, you can switch that in the uh, Last Day collection. Well, yeah, you, you can pick whether you want to play GGLS 2 or Power Strike 2 um, mm -hmm. when, you, when you choose it from the main menu. Now, this is shorter than the first game, with only six stages, though they are reasonably long. And like the first game, you power up your main gun with the small P-chips and the secondary weapon with the large P-icons. But GGLS 2 adds bombs, known as G-strikes, that you can collect and use as well. And um, you earn bombs throughout the game by collecting the small P-chips. And your primary weapon shot power maxes out at level 4. Uh, once you're at shot max, your ship will gain a protective armor that can take one hit before it's gone. Now GGLS 2 pairs down the secondary weapon selection to just four options, though you can choose which one you want to start the game with. Uh, there's the Neo Napalm Gun, which is an N icon. There's an upgraded, uh, which is an upgraded version of the Napalm weapon from the first game. You have the Hammerhawk, which is an H, that shoots homing missiles. The Delta Form, which is a D power-up, which creates a spinning barrier around your ship that can deflect some enemy fire. And then the Rising Mesher, which is an R, uh, which fires a powerful laser on either side of your ship, uh, though only in bursts. And then your secondary weapons also max out at level 4. Now, since you brought this up earlier, GGLS has two bonus stages like the first game, uh, but both of those are similar to kind of a space harrier into the screen style of game where enemies come from the background and they come forward. You can lock onto enemies with a tar targeting reticle and then fire once locked on. And now your score is based on the percentage of enemies that you've targeted and shot down. For every shot fired that was not locked onto an enemy or did not connect, you get a miss and then your percentage is a factor of hits versus misses. And again, according to the fandom page for GGLS 2, the story, uh, in 2070, Earth was protected by the cross-border organization Earth Joint Forces. Based upon reflection of the previous incident, the Earth Joint Forces headquarters considered deploying the strongest ALGO military satellite, which has a strong defense against foreign enemies. 
The most important of the military satellites was the ALG-45 ALGO. It is the strongest military satellite on Earth, with a sphere about the same size as the moon and protected by hard armor. The deployed satellite ALGO was supposed to be a reliable guardian star for Earth. However, an incident suddenly struck one day, despite the speculation of senior military personnel, deep and quiet. It all began with the attachment of an unknown object to the satellite ALGO. The object that seems to have drifted from outer space has surprisingly parasitized the main computer of the satellite ALGO and gained its mighty power. It then flew some of its cells which have parasitic abilities into space. The object. The parasite began to act according to its slightly existing engraved wills of destruction and breeding. A, sto a solar storage plant that supplies Earth with important energy source. A platinum fighter was flying to test the, uh, to the test site adjacent to the, the plant. GGLS Model 2 Lance Bird, a prototype for the new aircraft during a test flight. The flight test went smoothly, and as the live ammunition test was about to begin, test pilot Alice saw a strange shadow on the sensitive sensor. At the same time, several signals appeared on the cockpit screen. The wreckage of the destroyed plant was reflected there, and a strange shadow spreading on the screen. It was a fusion of cells released by the parasite with the wreckage of the plant. The main computer of GGLS-2 sounded a loud alarm and repeatedly called to repel the enemy on the screen. Alice shakes off the words of the test crew to stop and heads for the suddenly appearing enemy. GGLS-2 burns fire through its engines. Yeah, this, uh, this word salad of a story is basically a, uh, a partial retelling of Star Trek The Motion Picture with V'ger. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's very much changed the mechanical to bio here. And I was sort of joking at you, like, what's with these snot balls? They're not bullets, they're snot balls that are coming at you there. It's almost like somebody had too much text maxium and it just shot it your way there. It's uh, he, here. I thought we we're leaving the Kasoge for the toilet kids, but it rears its head again here. <laughs> the, he, it, it, it's very weird, weird where you got this combination of like yellow, brown, and green that's on there, and it. Uh, it's, uh, it would be fascinating to see this show up on an actual Game Gear. I wonder if that's even detectable. Is I, I could understand red being more identifiable on that early LCD screen than brown or green. Right. It's almost like giving me PTSD flashbacks of 1942 on the NES. Huh. It's like, was that a bullet that hit me, or what the heck happened here? It just melded, melded so well into the background, I couldn't tell. Yeah. I think they work, but probably not as well as, as those in the original game. But I have to say that I like the gameplay of the second one better. I think that they definitely did do a good improvement on this. And the I end up using the R or the laser. It may, may not have been the best choice, but it was something that when you really need to just mow down something on the side 
it would happen. So you really had to sort of time your shots to what you're trying to destroy. But it it worked very well for me until the uh, near the end of the game. Right. What uh, combination did you start with? I mean, I'm I am very much um, team neo napalm. It's pretty much my jam. Sounds good. Just bama your way to victory, huh? Kind of, yeah. I mean, since the napalm has a bullet canceling capability, if you will, it really, I'm not going to say it trivializes certain things, but it certainly makes some sections a lot less of a chore. Fair point. Yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the emboss. Uh, that was one of the the wall for me for quite a while with this game. It is the uh, guy who was it a guy in a chair or some sort of organism in a chair that was sitting there, and then you had to destroy the sides, and then after that you destroy the boss. But the boss kept taking up the lasers. That was hard with the R weapon. Did you find that the difficulty spike at the very end? Oh, definitely. Yeah. That that brain or whatever it is that that has that that follows you around. I, I forget what the. I keep in my mind. I'm picturing tiles, but that's not quite right. Yeah. The one that sort of just eats up your shots. Yep. And then you have to destroy it. You had that part in there. It, it's. And definitely a, a large jump in difficulty at the end of the game that I, I think anything stood out to me the most. Yeah, and I think that was uh, reflected in our in our Discord as well. I gotta say, this is one that I've known about for a long time. Uh, I knew it as Power Strike Two because in the in the early days of emulation and in my early days on the Shmups forum. Uh, way back in the late 90s this was actually i i guess you could say my my early claim to fame in the shmup community was that i found out about this game through emulation and then i was the one who introduced it to malk uh aka malcolm the guy who owns the shmups site and after introducing him to it and uh letting him know hey this game's legit he played it and then wrote up a review on it, which is on the Shmups forum. And you can go see that, uh, or not on the forum, but on the on the site, shmups.com site. And you can still go and, and read his little write-up on it. But, uh, yeah, so I've known about this game for a long, long time. But uh, I'd never really, I'd never sat down to truly try and beat it. I've always just played it casually. You know, play it a little bit, have some fun with it, enjoy the the audiovisual presentation and the general gameplay. But I've never sat down and played it seriously until until now. Yeah, this is something that was new to me. It wasn't the last games was not something that I had played outside of maybe de dealing with um, the Sega CD version before this or I'm dabbling my hands with Musha. Right. Yeah, but G GGLS 2 is most definitely a step up from the first game in terms of both the audio-visual presentation and the gameplay in general. 
I, I feel like it is a it is a, a better game. The first game I think drags on just a little bit for what it is. The the final boss segment in the first game is a an interesting set piece, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a fun boss fight. GGLS2 definitely definitely ramps that up. Yeah, I would definitely agree. If you're gonna be <laughs> paying rent money for one game, <laughs> definitely go for a GGLS2 or GGLS2. All right, so let's move on to what most of us play for the rest of the month, which is GGLS3. It was released in December 2020 as part of the LS collection from developer and publisher M2 as part of the Shot Triggers line. The LS collection compiled the first and second LS games on the Master System or Mark III as well as the GGLS games and the new game along with it. It also has released on one of the limited Game Gear mini consoles. In both instances, they were only released in Japan. Now, since then, people have taken this because it is M2, and they have put it on cartridge. So there are homebrew, bootleg, Etsy, whatever you want to call it, cartridges of this out there that will play on the Game Gear. Now, the, the caveat to that is... Because of the trickery and stuff that M2 was able to do that stock Game Gear hardware can't do, some modifications to the ROM had to be made in order to get it to run on original hardware. So it's a, a slightly pared down version if you're going to play it on an actual Game Gear. And if you do, please, please make sure to go to Costco and buy some AA batteries first. GJLS3 plays out over seven stages and is similar in length to the first game, though slightly longer. As with the other two GJLS games, small P-chips will power up your main weapon to a max level of eight, and large P-icons power up your secondary weapon. After collecting a small amount of P-chips, you also gain a single-hit shield for your craft. And in this game, you will definitely need it. Secondary weapons include... All range or A, which is directional like fire, in which, similar to Xanic, in which fires directions opposite you're moving. Chain chaser or C, which is a homing weapon that fires large rings. Defense bits D, which are similar to the Delta form in GGA2 that spin around your ship and can deflect some enemy fire. Firewall or F, which shoots out small explosions and can cancel bullets, similar to the Neo Napalm weapon. Rising Laser, R, which is more like a Rising Smasher, and T, the turret gun, which is a bursting spread shot. Secondary weapon power maxes out as 4. So, was your your go-to the similar as a Napalm, or what did you go with here? Uh, actually, rather than trying to stick with one weapon the whole game, I did a little bit of switching back and forth. There, there are definitely situations where some some weapons are better than others in in different spots. I I think I focused mainly on the chain chaser, the homing weapon, uh, especially early on. It's not the most powerful weapon, but it's powerful enough to deal with popcorn effectively. And especially once you get it powered up to level two and beyond, it becomes pretty invaluable. I did switch over to the firewall 
a fair bit. The rising laser works okay, but because of its limited range, it's uh, it's harder to use. The defense bits I really didn't mess with. All range I barely used because I'm not good at Xanak and I find that kind of a weapon difficult to use. It does cancel some bullets, the large orbs that the all range weapon does fire. So it can be useful for that, but I just have a hard time using it. The turret gun, uh, I didn't really use much. I think at level three and level four or max level, it can be useful. And it's probably good for scoring because of the amount of coverage it has. But uh, ultimately, I found the, the homing weapon to be more effective. Yeah, I switched between homing and rising laser because why not? Let's make it more difficult than it needs to be. But at this point, I had played most of GG2 using the laser, so it just sort of felt natural to me. Sure. Regardless of how uh, useful it actually was. Unlike the two previous games, there are no bonus rounds. However, each stage has a secret task you can complete, which will award a large score bonus usually destroying a set number of enemies, ground targets, or both in a particular area. I don't think I ever got the score bonus. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I managed to find the score bonus in all, uh, I think, in every area. I sort of discovered the first one by accident. In stage one, there's a segment where you go over this area where there are these boxes on the ground, and if you get all... All of the boxes across the three different platforms that uh, you pass by, then you can you'll you'll score the bonus. Is the bonus the similar that the is it, in the early Capcom games like Mega Man, Strider, and stuff for the NES? They had that uh, symbol. Was this Swaichi? What's what's that? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the Yashichi. Yashichi. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's was, uh, was it's literally two? just. Yeah, it's literally just, you know, destroy all the targets, and then you get the bonus. Yes, I swear that the, that some of the enemies, maybe it was two GGLS2, that they were firing out those. Oh, I don't know. The, the most ended up looking like that. Maybe, I don't think it was three, but uh, anyway. Huh. All right, I'm having Capcom fever dreams, apparently. That's so, all right. <laughs> And moving on here to the story, a storm of cyber attacks. The terrorist organization that sees military power on Earth in just a few hours hacked the surrounding satellites and stations one after another. Jeez, wasting their time if they're doing one after another. They should use a hub and spoke. Do it efficiently. Automate it. Jeez. As the Earth Orbital Army, either that or maybe we can use AI. Here's what you do. You just have the, the paperclip from Office Start. It says, I see that you're trying to seize power. Would you like some help? <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Earth Orbital Army Lunar Defense Corps Moonchild. Oh, we're back to this again. Based just before the fall, only one less succeeded in the sortie. The passenger is Luna Wisen, a pilot candidate for under final examination. Well, chances are she's under 18, right? She has to be in order to save the Earth. Indeed. 
Alas, the lightning arrestor of Earth. Why does it seem like that's something they would use in light in the English translation of Thunder Force Seven? Lightning arrestor. <laughs> I mean, that that almost is up there with Moveszig for great justice. Yes, you know what you're doing. <laughs> Only some of the time. <laughs> All right. Well, just to touch on a couple of of gameplay things here. As you mentioned earlier, in all three of the games, power-up items will grant your ship a few iframes, which can be used to help avoid damage or get you out of a sticky situation. Um, extends in the game are score-based and are fairly plentiful in the first two games, although less so in uh, GGLS 3. Uh, GGLS 2 does have one hidden extend in stage 3. There's a series of boxes you can destroy, and one of those will have more HP than the rest. If you can break that box, it will reveal a 1-up icon that you can collect. Yeah, that was sort of surprising me. I ended up collecting that on my first playthrough, and then it said Alice when you collect it and i was like, oh yeah really surprised that, that they threw that in there i thought that was a nice touch like otherwise they don't really unless you look at the the story in the manual or somewhere else it really never states who the pilots are yeah and i think that might have been a little bit of a xanak callback uh, sorry but every time i heard the word xanak i keep thinking of a sleeping pill <laughs> if you're having trouble sleeping take two xanak and call me in the morning you'll sleep Say it's the most restful sleep you've ever had. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about the graphics here. All three games are bright and colorful and make good use of the limited resolution of the Game Gear screen to produce nice-looking visuals. Bullets are typically larger to make them easier to see among all the colorful backgrounds and enemies, though they can still be occasionally easy to miss or blend in just a little bit. The boss designs range from simple but functional to large, detailed, and interesting. One of the biggest things I noticed about the bosses is on the first two games, none of the bosses charge the screen. They didn't perform a Konami. Right. In GGA LS3, they did. So I thought that was sort of a nice touch. Like, oh, things are getting more good. I think when we're fighting that giant enemy crab that was shooting out bubbles that slow you down, that was... That was one of the enemy and then there was another one where it, w it had pincers right it was i think it was maybe it was another form of crab but it's definitely in three and it rushed the bottom of the screen after it fired off a couple bullets the one exception to that is uh toward the end of ggls2 you had that uh lightsaber robot thing that would that would charge at you and lunge toward the bottom of the screen Oh, yes. But, yeah, that's that's the only one. If, if you're looking at stuff within a, you know, Gradius or a Salamander or, or within those lines from Konami on there, and that those bosses wouldn't care. They'd just say, yeah, I, I don't care if we've got a bolt pattern that just traps you in the bottom of the screen. I'm just going to ram you. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was a little surprising to see this not implemented here, but then show up in the third one. Or, yeah. as you say, in the end of the second one. Yep. One of the things that is pretty cool about the progression of the games, I feel like none of the bosses in the original GGLS are super impressive 
or all that large, save perhaps for, uh, you know, a couple of forms of the final boss. GGLS2 does, does ramp that up a little bit, especially with the final boss fight, but GGLS3 has very large detailed bosses and really pretty impressive stuff. Uh, so I was, I was a little bit taken aback at how, how good they look and just how, how detailed they really are. Yeah, the, the graphics definitely take a leap when it gets to the third game. But to be fair, the the first game and the second game were made back in the heyday of the game year. And they, they've had at least 20 years plus of experience in order to build upon. True. If it came out looking like an MSX game, I don't think <laughs> that, that uh, M2's reputation could have recovered on that. I mean, they had... <laughs> Everything for them is a passion project, uh, and and it should be in order to produce a, the the caliber of work that they do. They it's they've always set the bar very high and always gone above and beyond. But it, it it's certainly is similar to some of the surprises that we would see with anything there like for example people were, we were mentioning Rekka at the end like I didn't think the NES could do this and for the most part the GG the GG or Game Gear can do GG LS3 which is what makes it even more impressive yeah well M M2 could take the uh, the zero wing meme someone up someone set up us the bar very high uh, they certainly move their zig for great justice. Yeah. Uh, touching briefly on the sound, um, just to kind of put this out there, uh, the music in the first game was handled by K.G. Takeuchi and Mr. Sakoda, and sound effects by someone named Mats. Uh, the sound in uh, GGLS 2 was handled by Imami Pon and Ba M., and then the sound design in uh, GGLS 3 was handled by none other than Manabu Namiki, with sound programming handled by Junichiro Minami and Bo Bokichi. Yeah, I, I would have to say that for the moment, I was didn't turn it down. I didn't switch to anything else. It really fit the game. No, I didn't think that it would be out there go, blasting and out telling my neighbors all about hey listen to these hot jams but I, I I think that it works in game and works quite well now the sound is definitely something that I enjoyed in all three games I couldn't uh, tell you what the music in the first game was like the second game the second game I know I spent more time with it both streaming it this month this past month and then also in years past I've, I've played it more but ggls3 i really think that's a pretty strong soundtrack um certainly it makes good use of the psg hardware but it also has some pretty strong melodies going on and is fairly memorable i mean i was whistling along as i was streaming throughout the month um, so definitely, definitely a highlight for me. Uh, for, for me, it is. It's a working game, but it wasn't something that that I would be humming the tunes outside of the game. Fair. 
you know, it, 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 it's no Metal Squad, but when, when you were dealing with Metal Squad, you have to set the bar pretty high. Yeah. All right, so scoring. No points are awarded in GGA or GGA 2 for power-up items, so all scoring is from enemy destruction or bonus rounds. GGA 3 introduces points for power-up items and the hidden bonuses which we mentioned earlier. Some of the bosses in GGA 3 fire rockets or missiles, which can be destroyed for points, so some light boss milking is possible. Yeah, you're not you're not going to get into advanced routing or anything like that within here. It, it's pretty much destroy what you see on screen, unless you're in GGA 3, at which point you're going for the, the hidden subplot or hidden items. And you can destroy missiles or certain things on there it's pretty straightforward right there's no craziness that always be uh, breaking that you get with crimson clover none of the crazy rotting that you get with any of the cave games you don't have to be point blanking like you get with ketsui i aside from the uh, galactic dancing stages and the first one or the uh, space error in the second gg i don't think there's really any extra points where you can really add more on to to a score no and the interesting thing about the ls collection is the leaderboards for ggls and ggls2 don't actually factor in score it's more like speed running and so the the idea is to get the sh the shortest time to complete the game so that was an interesting, uh, an interesting approach, and, and I know at least one person in the Discord was trying to go for a, a shorter time to go further up the leaderboard. Very nice. So, shall we move on to impressions of the game? Yeah. All right. Let's start out with Zoido. Hi guys. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you, sir. I started my New Year by playing some GJLS this morning. Got the clear on normal but didn't beat my best score. Also managed to clear the game on special difficulty for the first time. Stage 7 was a crash fest, but luckily the game spans view with extends in later stages. I'll upload the replay of my special run later. Special mode is kind of hard mode. It has revenge bullets, and I think bosses have more HP, but not sure about that. If you play the less, day, or less collection, Version, make sure to switch the M2 gadgets on to keep track of everything pretty well. Got the clear of GG Alest 2 today. My weapon of choice is the new Napalm. During my runs yesterday, the game broke two or three times and looked like this. Anyone else experience this? Oh boy, he he definitely broke the game there. I, I, I think he blue screen of death the game. I had the same impression. Some boss fights need a bit of practice. I found the first boss somewhat annoying and had to restart my run sometimes after I lost one or two lives. The enemy at the beginning of stage 5, the lightsaber boss, also has some potential to ruin your entire fun. Without slowdown, it's more chaotic and difficult, but with slowdown and new napalm weapon, you should be able to get the clear pretty easily. I find the music of GG3 or GG2 pretty annoying and enjoy the soundtrack of GG a lot more. Well, thank you for your thoughts and and for joining us and uh, show us new ways to break the game. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Uh, Kurt Fussell uh, says uh, regarding uh, the original GGLS, 
Some cheap deaths, but don't give up and get it. First time for me. And then uh, about uh, GDLS2. Having a lot of fun with this. Very nice. Thank you for joining. Game Engineer says just finished off GGLS1. It was definitely a first. The presentation is surprisingly good for the Game Gear, though I guess that's just compiled with all their tech wizardry for you. I mean, these environments and visual effects are just beautiful. Gameplay is what you expect for a compiled shmup, with quite a few weapons to play around with, my favorite probably being the laser, and a power-up system along with the lines of a handful of compiles other games. I notice there's a level of leniency with power-ups in Lost Lives, so you only knock down one level of both your sub-weapon and your main guns when you die, and even that, your main guns do seem to work ever so slightly differently. For me personally, the main draw was bosses. Even with that little Game Gear could do, I felt Compile gave it all their all in making each boss as fun and as challenging as possible. I'm still debating what exactly was my favorite, but right now it's the tie between Boss 3, the Railway thing, 5, Love Me, a good Battleship Raid, and 7. Overall, a very good shmup to start with on your path with, and it gets a bit hectic at times, mostly due to the Game Gear smaller screen. Also, the bonus areas were pretty neat. Yeah, I have to say that the bonus areas were something that I really wasn't expecting. It was a welcome surprise. At first, I thought maybe I put in Galaga or, or switched to a hidden Galaga minigame, but the the GGA 2 was sort of. I felt, you know, you mentioned space here, but I felt more like I was playing Afterburner. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't get. I, yeah, I couldn't hear "Get Ready as Fantasy Zog," but I could still hear the, the takeoff music <laughs> and, and and the lock on fire, oh, yeah. fire, fire. Yeah, going <laughs> through my head there. Uh, Scoush said, "Just played through GGLS normal mode straight after race Rayforce handing me my butt, and it was a fun blast. The stage backgrounds were impressive, and there were some fun enemies." Lots of repetition of popcorn, but that's understandable given the hardware limitations. The bosses were interesting, if very underpowered and lacking in HP, although any longer, and I guess they'd be pretty boring with the short cycle of attacks. Not sure if you can turn slowdown off in the M2 port, I'll check this later, but that, that'd make it harder for sure. I finished the game in 36 minutes and I think 1.48 million. The leaderboards are based on time to clear rather than score, and that time for me, uh, 812th on the Switch leaderboard. And then uh, later, uh, with some discussion with Zoido on uh, GGLS2, that Stage 5 boss has ruined three runs of mine now. I cleared this a while back with slowdown, but it seems significantly harder without it. I was cruising till the Stage 4 boss that drained my life count, then Lightsaber Guy finished me off. Really digging the music in this one, and it's still so fun, so I'll be trying for that 1cc again later. I enjoyed GGLS2 overall, but the projectile RNG on some of the bosses and mid-bosses was frustrating at times. The, painful, uh, the plentiful resources, strong bomb, and shield mechanic helps the difficulty seem pretty straightforward. I enjoyed the M2 port with no slowdown as an extra challenge. How the, 
How the composer utilizes the PSG chip to create such atmospheric music is pretty amazing to me. And then later on, agonizingly close to the 1cc in GTLS 3. Went into the final stage well equipped, but then the last boss withered me down and then I couldn't recover from the power loss. Soon though. Tried a few more runs of, G of uh, GGLS 3 this evening, made it to stage 7 with plenty of resources, got wiped out in the tanky quarter of doom. Chain deaths were quite harrowing to watch. And then finally says, got it at last. Final boss not too bad, it's just getting there that has been such a difficult task. There are so many choke points in the run, then in stage 6 or 7, if you power down in certain sections, you can't recover. It has to be such a lucky run. I've put all my replays on a YouTube video. There's a few strats in the GGLS3 that could be of use, I hope. Any, anyhow, check it out if you get a chance. And I did watch that, and it's pretty cool. Uh, Skosh has the footage for all three games playing at the same time. With GGLS1 and 2 kind of in the background flanking and then GGLS3 front and center. All three runs going on simultaneously. GGLS2 finishes first, so then that fades out, and then it switches to just one and three side by side. And then when the GGLS, uh, the original GGLS run is done, then the GGLS3 run moves to the center and gets bigger. It's kind of a, kind of a cool deal, but a nice little presentation there very nice Talkerbot says shmup of the month is such a great idea to revisit games i'm definitely going back to ggls3 if see if i can clear it before the end of the month well hopefully you did sir yeah um overdrone was uh jumping into the conversation coming and uh, commenting on uh Scouch noting the time-based leaderboards on the m2 port and said the time-based thing actually leads to pretty interesting strategies in GGLS 1 and 2. Certain parts you don't want to have drag out, like the sub in GGLS, which wastes plenty of time if you don't kill it before it submerges. Wuggles says, chat, I got the 1cc, and congratulations to you, sir. No thanks to this thing, there's a picture of this dog crawling on him the whole time. Well, I think I know someone here who has uh, gotten very used to dogs crawling all, all over him at any given time. Very much and so. If I'm, <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, that is actually the, my first 1cc ever. Oh, even double GG to you, sir. GG1 is the only real hard in the first three stages, and once you get the extra lives and upgrades, you can just slam your face into it. I died a lot in round eight, thanks to the above-mentioned help. GGA2 is much harder. I got rounds 1 through 4, which is fine, and then completely owned in 5 and 6. Only around 5 when I remembered I even had bombs. And GGA2 is way stingier with the lives. Later on, regarding GGA2, my 1cc1 was ruined by the stage 5 boss. That freaking homing shot. I got taken out by a stray bullet from the boss while I was trying to circle around the homing shot. Dumb was yes. I know. Dumb with Cyber Road, and I still have four lives. I just bombed the crap out of the final boss. Okay, wait. This has to be family friendly. 
I just bombed the carp out of the final boss. Use five <laughs> bombs, two on the sword man, and three on the final boss. One CC. Very nice. Yeah, th- th- I was <clears throat> I was happy to see that in the Discord that that not only did uh, Wuggles as a new member of the Discord uh, join in, but also got two one CCs, and so you're well in your way to becoming a shmup master. Yes, just remember to bomb the carp out of them. That's right. Is that like carpet bombing? Yeah, yeah, it's a little fishy, but it's about the same thing. <laughs> All right, we're we're getting we're getting things ready for the Darius jokes to come hot and heavy later. Yeah. Uh, Schlarp says just got a one CC in uh, GGLS on Mister. I will have some more rounds on Switch and on one of the Game Boy clones for comparison. It plays great on a handheld. I just prefer a stick over any D-pad in the world for the precision. Uh, and then regarding DGLS 2, after some matches, I noticed the difficulty was set to hard. I lowered it to easy for starters and made it to stage 5. Spent some more credits here and felt recovering is not too bad. I didn't believe it, but I managed a 1cc in GGLS 2 on Mr. Napalm shot all the way. It seems like a lot of people are saying napalm's the way to go. I love the smell of napalm in the GGLS. Mm, smells like victory. <laughs> Duke Togo says, I got to stage 6 on... Say, sorry, Duke Togo says, I got to stage 6 boss on GGLS 2. But I accidentally picked up the homing missiles before the fight and got roasted. I cleared the majority of the GGLS 1 normal challenges with gold. Just need to complete a, the full stage and all stages challenges. Is there something you can do with challenge points? No, I don't think I did anything with challenge points. Did you? No, and there was a little discussion on this in the in the Discord, and I don't I don't know that we came to any consensus on that. Maybe we can have him see if he can change, trade him in for schmuck bucks or something. Yeah. Special perks on the channel on here. You get a Dark Souls meme, or uh, no, a Dark a Dark Souls icon there. Dark Souls emojis. That uh, works. There you go. I don't think anyone would spend good money on memes. I got a clear of GJLS two on easy tonight. Didn't get a pick of the score since it cuts right to the ending, but it was around the 1.9 million mark or so, I think. I'm going to try an easy GGLS 3 clear next. The normal modes are too much for this old man unless I want to safe state it. Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. There you. One day you're shmupping away, the next moment you accidentally hit the button the wrong way and you break your finger. I saved Scott my way through GGA 3 because the month is almost over. I want to see the whole game. Wow, that last level is nuts. The last boss, though, was surprisingly not that bad. Yeah, the, the last level of it definitely was uh, ramped up the difficulty in GGA fashion. Yep. Uh, Fo Macho said, I dragged my feet in December to buy a PS4 copy. Finally pulled the trigger, so I'll join and catch up for the second half of the month. OGGG Alest clear for me. Everyone here said the first game is so easy, which cursed me and I really struggled in my first few playthroughs. 
I kind of learned it's basically critical not to take a hit in the first two to three stages to build up lives and a general momentum to get through the game. Game Gear was my first game system, and I have to think about it, but this might be the first Game Gear game I've ever beaten. That is quite an accomplishment. I love it. Yeah. Especially even more so if you beat on an actual Game Gear. Oh, oh that's true. Because then it's not... Then you've got a timer on the game. Because then you are not just racing against the enemies. You're racing against the clock and the ba and the, from the AA batteries. <laughs> well, I beat this before it runs out of power. Oh, yeah. I wonder if, it, if, if that was part of the game development back then. <laughs> like, hey, you can't make the game lo longer than 30 minutes. Well, why is that? Because the batteries will only last for 25 <laughs> <laughs> uh, Corkman77 says I was surprised how much more difficult in a good way GG3 was after the first two I need to go back and do it more my chronic illness has been flaring up and I haven't had energy to, to play last month or this month well, I'm sorry to hear that I hope you feel better soon I hope to next month with one of my faves Glaylancer I tend to find early handheld console stuff like the Game Boy or Game Gear to be easier or unfairly difficult, depending compared to shmuffs on other systems. It's because of the hardware limitations, but GGA 3 does a great job of maximizing the hardware to provide fair gameplay and challenge. The real challenge of GGA 1 or 2 on real hardware would have been making sure you don't run out of battery power on the game gear. Well, shoot, I shouldn't have waited. <laughs> just said it right there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like we said at the top of the show, the real true last boss. Is double A batteries. They are, and they still are. And the amount of stuff that has been run into or destroyed by double A batteries just must be massive. Uh, I, the other day, my feet popped up with Voltar talking about double A batteries and how they destroyed Wii controllers. Oh, people yeah. let the batteries in there, and it, it just explodes everywhere. So, yep. like a leaky set of leaky caps on the PC engine. Yeah, I've got a, a red Wiimote sitting on my counter right now with battery acid in it that I need to uh, tear apart and give an alcohol bath. Uh, let's take a quick look at the scores here. Uh, Duke Togo is on top with the uh, original GGLS with a score of 1,473,000. Uh, 60 points. Fomachu came in next with 1,457,500 points. Wuggles in third with 1,421,940 points. Game Engineer 112 had 1,410,190 points. Uh, Scoush came in at 1,378,890 points. And that was with no slowdown. All of Scousha's runs were no slowdown. Uh, then I was at uh, 1,373,330 points. And Zoido had 1,252,310 points. And now Zoido was the only one who submitted a score for uh, GGLS Special Mode. And that was a little bit higher at uh, 1,467,830 points. For GGLS 2, we had fewer scores. 
Uh, Zordo on top with 1,920,470 points. Wuggles up next with uh, 1,908,200 points. Schlarp had 1,905,280 points. And Scoush had 1,845,800 points. I don't remember what my score was uh, because I didn't grab a picture of it before the uh, before the end of the month. And I, as I was going through, I, I forgot to grab it before I, before I, uh, drop them in here. But since I didn't have it in the discord, I wasn't going to count it. And then for GGLS three, Scoush had, uh, 3,896,500 points. And then I had, uh, 3,877,800 points. Uh, so then, nice. what are our final thoughts? Well, why don't you start off? Uh, I'm glad that we did this this month, and I'm glad that we did it the way that we did it. It is a little bit unusual, the fact that we did two months back-to-back -back playing multiple games in the month, since our typical focus is, is uh, one game per month. But I gotta say, doing it this way really did help to keep the momentum up because especially in this you know in this context playing these handheld games I don't think we could have dedicated an entire month to to any of them uh, with the possible exception of of uh, GGLS 3 but even that I felt like if you if you give it enough time, it's one that you can clear in uh, a shorter amount of time, necessarily than I would say a, a even a traditional console shooter. Um, so I'm glad that we approached it this way, but I really appreciate these games for what they did, and certainly I think the the GGLS games, particularly GGLS 2 that came out on the original hardware are very likely the best and most impressive shooting games for the platform with fa Fantasy Zone Gear maybe being the lone possible exception but GGLS 3 is quite the game you know, I already knew that GGLS 2 was an impressive title, but GGLS 3 really impressed me. And despite my frustrations with the game, you know, the last couple of streams as I was trying to get my clear, th this is an achievement. M2 needs to be careful because number one, they set the bar pretty high with a game like that. And number two, they need to make sure that they don't break their arms patting themselves on the back um, for just how how good this game is. My, I initially thought maybe it wasn't going to be balanced as well as GGA 2 because it didn't have the bomb. But then as I played more, I realized, no, they balanced the game in the absence of a bomb to make sure that it was going to be more playable. I think it's probably better balanced than, than GGLS 2, 
because GGLS2 does occasionally have some bullet barf that you have to deal with, and there's there's less of that with the third game, and uh, it's just really interesting. There are definitely a couple of difficulty spikes that are annoying, and a couple of spots where you almost feel like if you don't have a specific weapon, it's going to be harder to get through. But I I just think overall it is a it is a fantastic game. All three of these games are worth playing, but GGLS3 in particular is just a a showpiece and something that M2 should be very very proud of. I can just hear chef's kiss noises in the background there. <laughs> but uh, I honestly think you're right in this case. I think that GG last one is. Well, let's start in the beginning here. Should we hit. If we had done GG last one and GG2 last two or GG8, I'll just say GGA at this point because uh, I'm tired of saying the last. <laughs> so GGA1, GGA2. If we had done those by themselves, or even GGA 1, I think things would have ended too quickly. I don't think there's enough substance there to last the entire month. By throwing in GGA 3 in there, it definitely paced things out, and allowed people to spend most of their time between GGA 2 and GGA 3. I definitely think that was the right call. Also, doing stuff on a handheld, we really haven't done... In fact, I can't think of any uh, off the top of my head, any handheld games for for the month that. So th this was a good thing to d delve into something that wasn't the well-trodden Nintendo or, or or PC or arcade. And by by PC, I mean it's sort of like modern indie stuff like Steam. Not not the DOS stuff that we covered last time. I, I don't want I don't want to go back to that one for the while. For a while, the PTSD is still there, but. <laughs> the, I I think that the pacing was right, and that things were in small enough bites that it didn't feel like you you had to. So if one game didn't click for you, you could just easily switch to the third one, or the second one. And I I think that the third one does an outstanding job of showing what would be possible today. I it it is definitely another M2 high watermark and the fact that people are backporting it as much as they can over to a cartridge so they can play it on the original Game Gear speaks volumes. Absolutely. If somebody said, hey, we got the LS collection, should I buy it? And I'd say, yes, buy it just specifically for GGA3. Because you'll get your money's worth out of that. Everything else is just extra. And it's quality extra, so it's definitely worth the price of admission. Yeah, I, I don't think it's quite that quite that expensive. I paid or played on the PS4, so things ran pretty smoothly. Did you have a chance to play on the Switch? Was there any like weird slowdowns or things that you noticed? Or did it have a pretty smooth play? No, it was pretty smooth. I mean, I mentioned this in the Discord, but... Um, but uh, this is M2's bread and butter. I mean, they they know how to make the Switch sing. 
and they certainly have done that in this case. So it's very well optimized. Glad to hear it. That's one of the things that I, I guess uh, sort of, of why I haven't ordered the latest um, DOJ collection because I was sort of curious, should I really go with Switch or should I really go with PS4? His PS4 I know will have the I won't have to worry about the limitation of the console. Yes, I lose portability, but if I'm going to play DOJ, I don't think I'm I'm a, I might as well get one of those newbie lights and hook it up because I can't see the bullets. Uh. On a switch light, I cannot see the bullets. They are microscopic, and I'm not going to hook a magnifying glass and flashlight up. To, or, or duct tape it or whatever you want to put on it. I'm not going to line these tech tips my switch light in order to be able to see the bullets. I'm going to do it on regular switch or I will do it on PS4 where it's it's much easier to see things on a 32 inch TV. Oh, definitely. I don't think I would have wanted to play it on the handheld, but it's impressive to, to think that you could and make a go of it. You know those sci-fi shows from like the aughts, like 2007 where like Minority Report or like NCIS where no matter what it is they could just say computer enhanced and all of a sudden it provides a more detailed resolution that's blown up. I think that's what I need as I'm getting older for my bullets on there. <laughs> I think Star Trek did that too. We'll just say computer enhanced and it just makes the bullets easier to read. That's the type of technology we, we need. Forget upscaling. Forget this stuff. Let's just make the bullets easier to read. Yep. So, now that we get some final thoughts, let's talk about what's coming next. As we're recording this, we are starting off with Glaylancer. Now, I just started playing the Genesis version. I know that Etrem mentioned there were some... Like quality of life or differences in the Switch version, that it was decent, but it had some issues. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. So I'm hopefully can get some of that out from the chat in the Discord or from watching your streams with the doggos that, that think they are mountain goats. <laughs> yes. And then in March, we are going to be going back to the Dragon Balls with Dragon Spirit. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because you've got a little bit of a disparity between the uh, ease of the NES version and the difficulty of the Turbo Graphics and Arcade versions. Johnny Turbo for making things difficult again. Yeah, yes. Yeah, the, the Turbo Graphics 16 version there definitely has higher difficulty, but I think most people have experience with the NES version, so hopefully we'll be able to breeze through the NES version and, and spend our time uh, trying to once you see the Arcade Archives version or the TurboGrafx-16 version. Yeah, and I'm hoping that that uh, we have some participation, um, you know, maybe a couple of folks play the NES version and, and able to get a clear on that during the month. That would be cool. Yeah, I, I don't think the NES version is that expensive. 
it's, well, I think it's one of the cheaper ones, probably. It, it, it's most certainly under $20. Watch, I'm now someone's going to try and corner the market on here. Shmup Club, Shmup Club Game of the Month. I'm going to buy all copies on eBay, so that way they have to pay more money. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, Corey from uh, Pink Gorilla. He, he was buying as many copies of Wall Street Kid as he could find. Oh, right. There were other people who were doing stuff like that, too. There was one guy on Nintendo Age who was building a throne out of copies of Dragon Warrior. Yep. And there was someone that uh, was buying up every copy of Rampart for the Game Boy. Um, yeah. Yep. On purpose to try and inflate the value for some unknown reason. And then there was someone who was building a toilet out of copies of Shaq Fu. <laughs> Shaq Fu? More like Shaq Poo. I think this is the episode with the most uh, references to scatological humor here. (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) We'll try try and keep it clean here, folks, for for next month here. Uh, All right, well, (laughs) thank you, everybody, for listening to all the poop jokes and us. Stuff as we made our through our January, made it through the January games and starting the year off with a with a, a good set of shmups. Uh, I also like to thank Etrem88 for the logo, like as well as for his Saturday night streams. Like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music. I also like to thank Guru for always. Posting out uh, new designs here for Boss Pro Shmups. I'd like to thank everybody from the Playcasting, Collector Cast, and Music Cast. And I don't know, have they added another feature to this? It feels like every every time they put some on there, is it going to become the Fashion Cast too? Is they? I mean, it's interesting to listen to them talk, but I I, I feel each time they just add one, add a new feature to it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it, it sort of reminds me of, of the earlier day when everyone did their own, own thing where you had um, comic book vine you had giant bomb remember like in the a little bit after the odds like in the 2010s or so everyone had its own version right its own hub and spoke uh, hey if you're here for this why don't you check out our our comic section here and I, IGN and everyone else did it too I wonder if if that's how they're going to expand, they'll, they'll be they'll become the the Playcast Network. Oh yeah, <laughs> that could be. Could be. All right, I'd like to thank Metalfro for streaming and always enjoying the mountain mountain dog goats. Yeah, always entertaining, and for keeping things going through the Shmup Club Game of the Month. And as always, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to us ramble on incessantly about stuff and for joining us for playing Shmups together. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody. Yes, indeed.